Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host, and Kate, like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. Noel, how's it going this week? Uh, it's going okay. It's going okay. Nothing like too uh, noteworthy. How are you this week? Are you? Have you recovered from spring break? Are you like? Oh yes. Oh, I'm over. Oh, when is spring break coming back? I only have like a handful of of conferences left to do um, mm-hmm. with the spreadsheets that I spent all spring break writing. Um, right. So that's very exciting. And I are, I did invoicing this week as well. So I'm keeping Ooh, the party going. You're going to get paid. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm gonna get paid. But what are you I'm excited about? Pay you my taxes. Really, oh, because really I'm going to Hamilton something. tomorrow, dude. Oh, that's very exciting. It's so exciting, which is why I will be up all night editing because I will be at Hamilton tomorrow when I would normally be editing. Um, but that's well, okay. Can you just edit during the show? I'm sure they won't mind. I'm sure they wouldn't mind it all, and neither if would they don't I. Mind, if they don't mind Mike Pence dropping by, they're not going to mind if you're editing a podcast. Hey, if they want to give a polite and, and very well delivered. Uh, speech to me at the end of the show I would have you won't be there though I will be there with with wrapped yeah they'd be like we want to give you a lot of uh respect thank you for coming to the show next time leave your laptop at home like you know like I I'm I'm there for that um so it's very exciting that's very exciting for me Uh, also this this weekend is find out if you get comic-con tickets weekend so oh wow you've got a big weekend planned yeah it's it's gonna be a stressful and then not either it'll take either my sister and i won't get comic-con tickets and then hamilton will take our mind off of it or we will get tickets and then we'll keep the party going through hamilton so okay. very excited very excited that is that is way more exciting than me just getting off the podcast and going to play persona 5 for the rest of the weekend well how was your week of persona 5 i was gonna ask uh it was it was really good i i, I forgot that uh the game takes about seven hours to get going and does a lot of hand holding through oh, no. the first part well no it's fine because i mean there's a lot of mechanics to explain especially if you've never played anything in that series before mm-hmm. so it's really good for new players but if you played persona 4 at the very least then a lot of this was familiar and I was really concerned when they wouldn't let me do an all-out attack when I exploited enemy weaknesses. And then they're just like, well, we haven't explained it to you yet. <laughs> but I know how it works. <laughs> but no, it's it's been very good so far. I'm, I just finished the first dungeon. So I had time to study and uh, start talking to random people and reading at night, which is the other half of the game. Mm-hmm. It's a very weird game, but it's very exciting. I'm very happy. Yay, I'm glad to hear that. Well, another fun week of Persona 5 then ahead. Yes, and like another month, basically, because it's 100 <laughs> hours of gameplay. Oh, well, fair enough. Well, you know, I feel like if you're going to pay, you know, what those games cost, that yeah, seems about right. Bucks. Yeah, that yeah, seems like yeah. it's a good, yeah. Um, now, what, what's what's this I hear about Adventure Time News? Yeah, um, so you missed this. Which, yeah. Uh, You were busy, though, with spreadsheets and conferences and getting psyched about Hamilton. No, so at the end of the month, starting on the 24th, uh, we get a new miniseries uh, called Adventure Time Elements that will pick up immediately after Adventure Time Islands as uh, Finn, Jake uh, team up with uh, the Ice King and Betty to find out what happened to Ooh because Ooh's totally changed while they were away. Ooh, uh, yeah. I did not intend. 
intend for that to be a pun. Um, that's very exciting. Yeah, so they released uh, the opening for the miniseries, which is sung by uh, the woman who does the voice for Princess Bubblegum. Um, so you should check that out. Uh, but yeah, it's very exciting. I'm very excited about this. My DM for my Adventure Times D&D game is not excited because he's very much concerned that this will change his canon that he had <laughs> established and he's going to have to do some rewrites. Very possible. Very possible. The um, like April TV is determined to kill us. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, which is why I'm just playing Persona instead. <laughs> I'm, I'm already behind on things, and the premieres haven't even started yet. And I'm going to be starting up my Veep coverage uh, over at the AV Club <gasps> Yay! Uh, when that comes back, which will be fun. But like, even can, thinking about how I'm going to write about Veep in our current political landscape, like I rewatched the pilot the other day, mm-hmm. and I was like, this. I have such a different relationship with the show now. <laughs> um, <laughs> So yeah, I, I haven't started figuring that out yet, but um, mm-hmm. but yeah, but that's going to take a lot more time then, obviously, and and then all of the shows come back in the next couple of weeks. So, oh man, we'll see. That'll be an interesting time juggling situation. We're gonna um, die. Yeah, a little bit, you know, a little bit. But then some of the shows will will finish up, and that'll clear out, and hopefully yeah. we'll see. We we have some premieres this week. Um, we have at least one finale this week, so hopefully mm-hmm. things will keep trading out. Uh, we heard from a bunch of you guys this week on Twitter. Um, Shan picked, uh, shared his picks for the thirty day challenge, and they were pretty sweet. So thanks for that. Um, <laughs> Gwen was very happy. Just charmed by the fact that we covered murdered she baked last week like obviously not listening to it before she left her comment yeah no but that was <laughs> highly entertaining uh grove street uh gal recommends the lizzie bennett diaries which I, at least one or two other people have also told me i should watch that as a uh, youtube series that i should mm-hmm. check out so i think that'll be the one that i do for next month um, okay. so thank you for that and again listeners keep those coming keep the suggestions coming um brandy Fabulous listener to the show, Brandy. Uh, we were expecting an email from you this week. Yeah, promises were made. Happen. Promises were made, and then promises were dashed. So, so Noel, to explain to the other listeners, why are we hoping to get an email from Brandy? Because Brandy has Monel thoughts that she wants to share, and we were just like, yeah. Sure, we'll read I, them on the air. I want to know. Brandy yeah. has excellent taste, despite her odd <laughs> sentiment towards murder she baked. I still am very confused as to why you thought I, I I would like it, and I know I disappointed you, Brandy, by not liking it. But I'm just saying, you disappointed all of us by not liking it, including Gwen. <laughs> yes, yes. Apparently, just as I've, I know I've disappointed a share of our listenership by being more ambivalent towards Monel than they would like. So, Brandy, please do write in. We would love to know your thoughts. Um, and uh, Jean-Pierre posted the website with uh, some some various thoughts as well as uh, his picks for the 30-day challenge. So listeners should go check that out because they are, again, fabulous picks. And we also got an email follow-up from Carl, who we talked about his previous email, the last one about like cord cutting and all of that. Um, so he says, Kate and Noel, I did not end up cutting the cord, but I did connect my satellite company and they uh, contacted them and they took the bill down from... 115 a month to 42 dollars because i asked about leaving yeah though that's actually a really good tactic that i forgot to mention is that if you threaten to leave typically your cable provider will provide a deal of some sort because they don't want you to leave but that's like uh, yeah he says that he did he he downgraded um like got rid of some of the sports channels but like from 115 sure. to 42 those sports channel fees though their their per subscriber fee is so high yeah i just like that damn 
Damn. Anyways, yeah. so he says, so I did not cut, but I thinned it down and feel less stress, which, yeah, that would do yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. I would do it, Carl. Um, he says, I appreciate the happy place suggestions and I'm getting my Ted dance and fix via the good place and just discovered <laughs> BritBox on Roku. So I'm having fun with that. Maybe I'll even work up the nerve to watch some quality depressing TV soon or go for six times on Bob's Burgers, um, which, you know, fair enough. Uh, I'm very excited currently because my uh, my parents have just started the good place and they are very yeah. much enjoying it. They're and about- your mom figured it out she figured well she she doesn't know that she did yeah and so she's like unfigured it out since uh-huh. um, okay well that's yeah, good that's which is good but um but no they're on like episode seven oh and, they're so close well yeah, yeah well they're uh, of 13 so they're yeah. about halfway eleanor's just like stood up and confessed to the yeah. group um so i just am like kind of like oh, okay glad you're liking it how about that ted dancing they're like yeah i love how he's so like just find so much joy in the human things and i'm like yes that is that is fabulous. Ted Danson is the best. So um, I'm not going to say more because there are maybe people listening to this who haven't seen The Good Place, but you should. It's delightful. Um, so and, and so, yeah, it's super fun. And with that one, I'm sure it's the same for you, Noel. It's just so fun to watch people watch, you know, like to watch them watch it kind of a thing yeah. and, and discover just the, the fun and glee of of the show. Just the energy of the show is delightful. So it's yeah, that's been a lot of fun for me. Well, no, that's really that's really good. I don't get to experience that very much um, anymore. So, but I'm very glad that uh, your family's latched on to the show. So, so just basically because the people you know who watch it, they watch it at the right time when it's actually airing. Yep. <laughs> yep. 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 <laughs> yep. Yeah. Anyways, um, so that that's been that was the email we got from Carl. So, thank you so much for reaching back out, Carl. Glad to hear that. Things are a little less stressful for you. Um, so as we mentioned several times in the opening segment here, of course, last week we talked about Murder, She Baked. This week, I needed to cleanse the palate. Um, so we talked about Murder, She Wrote with assistant professor Charlotte Howell from Boston University, assistant professor of media studies and television studies. So uh, that's coming at the end of the show. Lots of Murder, She Wrote goodness and Angela, Angela Lansbury love. Yeah, yeah, no, and Charlotte's an old friend of mine, so it was really nice to have her come on and talk about the show with us, and it's a really, really good discussion. I can't wait for you guys to listen to it. Yeah, it was super fun, and hopefully she will come back soon, but um, that's coming at the end of the podcast, but uh, for now, let's let's take a break and dive in with our week in comedy and reality, so we'll take a break, listen to a little music, be right back after this.
That was Love Shack by the B-52s, of course, featured as this, the, the lip sync in this week's episode of RuPaul's Drag Race. This week in our Week in Comedy Reality, we're going to kick things off with the premiere or the pilot of Brockmire, which Noel's going to cover for us. And then we'll talk a little bit about Archer Dreamland, the premiere of that, uh, No Good Deed. Then we'll continue with Fresh Off the Boat, Time to Get Ill, and Speechless C.H. Cheater uh, before we round out uh, the segment with... <laughs> She didn't already done brought it on from RuPaul, from RuPaul's Drag Race, which is their cheerleading episode. Um, first up, though, Brock Meyer. This is the IFC uh, comedy. Just got renewed for season two, starring Hank Azaria and Amanda Peet. I saw an ad for this, and it was really tired and not funny. And so I was not in a hurry to check it out and all. But then I'm seeing positive reviews around everywhere, so I feel like maybe I was, you know, maybe they just have terrible ads. Should I check out Brock Meyer? I'm not sure. Like a lot of the discourse around it I saw was people didn't like it for like three episodes. And then the fourth episode's kind of a turning point for the show. And I'm <laughs> so irritating. Well, that's, that's kind of irritating. Um, but also makes sense. I think at this point mm-hmm. with television, uh, so Brock Meyer anyway, for those who like didn't catch an ads or aren't familiar with this character, as this was a character that uh, appeared in a funnier die web series first. Uh, Hank Azaria plays Jim Brockmeyer, who is a beloved Kansas city baseball commentator uh, slash play by play announcer, I think is the correct term. It's been a long time since I listened to any baseball and he has this massive meltdown um, on the air after he walks in on his wife hosting an orgy. And he laces his uh, diatribe into the play-by-play that's happening. And really, really effortlessly, like, it had to take a great deal of rehearsal for uh, Hank Azaria to get that right. Because it's done really, really seamlessly. It's really, really, it's really well-performed. But he basically goes on this long global sojourn um, and then returns to Morristown, Pennsylvania, to uh, be the play-by-play announcer for a minor league team called the Morristown Frackers uh, because the town is basically dying due to fracking. (laughs) And so the show's okay-ish. Like, I'm not, like, totally compelled by it. Azaria's really, really good here, I think. And Amanda Peet is Amanda Peet, which is to say good um, and entertaining. But the show as a whole, I'm not quite sure if... Tired, I think, is an okay expression for the show because I'm not entirely sure how much more I need to see a washed-up white guy uh, reclaim former glory as much as I enjoy how really effortlessly how the show uses baseball to talk about life in a way that isn't a Kevin Costner baseball movie. Um, (laughs) So I like that aspect of it, Uh, but... Like, this whole thing about him, like, lacing his diatribe in with baseball commentary, I think, is a really nice representation of how we lace baseball into the fabric of American society. Uh, And I think that's a really interesting idea and premise. It's just, I didn't laugh a whole lot. I chuckled and kind of went, oh, that's funny. I see why that's funny. But I didn't really glob onto it in any way, shape, or form, at least within the first episode. So I don't know if I'll circle back. Um, I'll let you know, though, if I do. Okay, so maybe check out episode four. 
yeah, maybe I'll just wait for a few weeks and then watch episode, watch all three of the next three episodes, like all at once. Okay. And come back to it. If I remember to do that, because IFC is not like something I remember to watch. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, the, the ad that they were put out a while back was the, the mm-hmm. old sports announcer doesn't realize that he's pushed the button. Oh, uh, he knows he's pushed the button for this. Yeah, he's well, a very much aware. No. Yeah. yeah. So so that was the ad. So and but oh, Amanda okay. Pete was in the scene. So I feel like that is a later scene because she wouldn't be in the beginning. Is she the wife or is she a different character? Ah, uh, she's the owner of the Morristown Frackers. So yeah, so he, she shouldn't be in the scene when he's doing his play-by-play thing. So therefore, the scene that I saw with that shouldn't... It was probably something that they wrote to, like, get people, but that sounds, like, really tired. But no, she recruits him because he's become this internet sensation in 2007 mm-hmm. because of his multiple... He had, like, two breakdowns, one on the one on the play-by-play and then again at a press conference, so that in this world... People say keeping it Brockmire as in keeping it real and that kind of a thing. Okay. See, at least yeah. then there's a reason that the person who blew up their lives is given another chance because Right. It's because he's they're hoping to make money off of him. Rather than just because he's a white guy, middle aged white mm-hmm. guy, which is usually the case right. in these stories. So that's okay, that's good to know. It's good to know. Um yeah. yeah I I we'll see we'll see. Cause like you said, we enjoy Hank Azaria and Amanda Pete. Yeah. So it's nice to see them getting some work. Um but yeah. Oh, I'm not rushing out to go see it yeah. right now. No, I but, think that's fair. There's yeah. so much other stuff to watch. Including, Including Archer right Dreamland. Yeah. Look yeah. at that. Sam. Almost <laughs> like we've been doing this for a while. Um, yeah. This is No Good Deed, which uh, picks up right where the previous season left off with Archer dead in a pool. Um, but not dead, mostly dead. Now he's in a coma. And so uh, it seems like much of the season will take place in his mind with, uh, you know, of course this world peopled by the people from his life, but playing different characters, of course, a twist on the, who we already know. Um, and I, I liked that they did give us that little opening scene of where the real characters are sort of, and then transitioning in. Um, though I'm curious what you think about this. Um, Noel, for me, I really enjoyed the aesthetic and I was having fun with the show and with like, like the, the alt reality that they came up with, but it it lacked any punch because I knew it's all in his mind. Like mm-hmm. I was, I was surprised how much that took me out of some of the action. I didn't expect it to, but, but it sort of did. It felt like I was feeling the artifice more, in this than I did even in the previous season. So like the, the way that they rebooted for last season, what, what did, did that strike you at all? I mean, I, I feel like from what I've heard, I'm in the minority on that. Yeah. I'm not, I'm, 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 I, I think I need you to like maybe flesh out this idea more because a lot of that, a lot of like this artifice and stakes type of thing, I think is where you're going with this. If I'm like, Say more, because mostly I don't really feel like anyone's ever really in danger on this show. No, they're not in danger so... <laughs> on the show. But like even the sense of like, oh, who done it? It's a mystery. It, it, OK, there's it's not an actual mystery because it's all in Archer's mind. So it doesn't matter. And none of this is consequential in any way. I mean, we know we characters don't actually die on this show, but the, especially because this is a except sh- for Woodhouse, except for Woodhouse. R.I.P. Woodhouse. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but because this is a show that builds so much on its own mythology and its own history. Okay. That, okay. You know, like you're not going to there's everything we're watching. None of the other people are going to remember it. So I, I found okay. it 
more okay. slight in that way. And I think some of that's okay, mm-hmm. um, at least for me. And I think a, a lot of it also just has to do with the noir trappings of it all. Mm-hmm. Insofar as one of the things about a noir that I've always like kind of taken to heart is that the whodunit barely matters. Um, especially if you've like the big sleep is just like a really good example of one of those things where who's no driving one, the car. Don't ask who's that. Tri- don't ask that <laughs> question because no one knows the answer to that. There no is one. no answer. <laughs> and, but it, it doesn't matter. I think I, 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 either yeah. is like the Maltese Falcon itself does not matter. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where at least so far is where I'm okay with that is that because they're in a film noir type setting, the idea of the mystery or the idea of how Archer is working through these things, I think is really the key thing is that he's potentially maybe working through something while he's in this world. Maybe we'll see. I'm not convinced that that'll happen, (laughs) but how, what do you, what do you taste from this when he wakes up? I think is going to maybe settle a lot of this for you. Maybe we'll see. Well, and I think I, I I really like what we get with Archer sort of teaming up with with pam uh uh-huh. somewhat and i i love the aesthetic poofy. for her yeah yeah <laughs> poofy yeah but um i really like that part of it but what we yeah. and we gain so much from the setting i like what we get with the flashbacks of him in, in in his mind in his coma he's having flashbacks to when he fought in world war ii which right. was neat um yeah but what we lose from that is Lana Kane kicking ass and taking names. And so hopefully there will be some more of that coming because the, the, yeah. the, the issue with being a film noir for a season is that your female characters, if they maintain, you know, noir tropes are mostly going to get put into sideline femme fatale or damsel roles. Now, obviously with mother as the mob boss, they're (laughs) skirting that and with Pam as well. But, um, you know, we'll see. I feel like they're like coding Pam as male. Yeah, they are. Yeah, they are. So, I mean, to like solve the fact that a a woman would not be a detective sergeant. No, (laughs) (laughs) but the style is lovely and, and they get, they're they're taking full advantage of that. The animation is gorgeous. Like, like it so always is like, there's so much that they do get from it. They're gaining a lot from it. Um, but yeah, I was surprised to be left a little more cold than I anticipated just because as soon as you hear the idea, it's like, Oh, that's gonna be awesome. Right. And I think a lot of it also just is me buying into that idea a lot because I'm here for a film noir riff yeah. any day of the week. Yeah. And so until things like go neo noir on me, I'm pretty much locked in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's uh, it's still really funny. There's still plenty of like steady Archer like banner and that kind of a thing, which I really like. And yeah, I, I, I just really enjoyed it uh, for the premiere. Yeah. And I'm really eager to see, again, another like femme fatale type of trope uh, with um, Cheryl walking in and demanding that Archer kill her. Yeah. Is just like delightful. (laughs) Um, So I'm I'm really eager to see how all of this plays out. And um, I'm I'm really worried that Barry is going to get cyborg legs again. (laughs) I don't need that to happen. (laughs) Now, uh, I know what you mean is they're clearly setting that up as their season long bit. Mm-hmm. Um, how much do you need them to get to the end of the season and, and for, say, I know what you mean. And he didn't know what they meant at all. And comedic <laughs> things happen because of it. 
Uh, I will probably be okay with it for a little while, um, in part because I've already seen the next three episodes. Um, ah, screener privilege. So, yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, which is to say the next three episodes are very good as well. Um, mm-hmm. If you're grooving on the first one, you'll be grooving on the next three. Uh, so, yeah, no, they keep, they keep that bit going, and I think it works really, really well. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a fun way of sort of like doing an acknowledgement of anachronistic type of stuff without actually doing an anachronistic sort of thing. Of, yeah. If you know what I mean, or I don't know what you mean type of thing without yeah. s- sidestepping that kind of stuff, even though there are like a couple of random anachronisms in dialogue where I just go, no one would say that. Yeah. No, I, but, I thought those were intentional. It's, right. It's, and it's, I think they are intentional. Yeah. But yeah, no, and they get away with it because it's in his head. Mm hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, we'll see uh, what happens next on Archer. Then I'm glad that that you like the next one's coming up, so that is, yeah. has me more encouraged. Um, yeah. Let's move on to our next episode, though, and that's fresh off the boat. Time to get ill, and this was delightful. <sighs> God, it's so good, <laughs> so good. So uh, th- in this episode, we have Jessica gets sick, and the <laughs> we have a lengthy conversation with the, the you know the rest of the Wangs um, about. Uh, you know, the eye of Sauron is, is not upon them. And so they're taking advantage of that to, to order some pay-per-view and have fun. And then we find out that similarly, Jessica sneaks out of the house to, uh, to go see that same pay-per-view. Um, it, this was just, I thought, I thought the way it came back together at the end also was really nice and subverted some of my expectations for it. And it was really sweet and also very, very relatable. <laughs> why was it relatable? I want to know why it was relatable. Oh, I mean, like, obviously, my parents wouldn't have done anything like that. But just the just the knowledge that you they they always find out. Moms always yeah. know. They always find yeah. out. There's no point yes. in having secrets or trying to hide something from them because they will figure it out. And when they figure it out, it'll be worse than if you had not told them in the first place. You know, like, it's better right. off just, yeah. You only need three combs. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I really enjoyed it for all those reasons, too. And I also really liked it because it let the boys work together, which is mm-hmm. we've talked a little bit about, like, changing up the pairings on the show. Um, so I really or changing up the dynamics of the pairings in so far as like Emery and Evan sort of working to accommodate Jessica, like on the road trip episode uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, as opposed to like giving in to Jessica yeah. or like enabling Jessica in a different kind of way than what they were doing with the road trip. But here it's just like everyone working together, not against Jessica, but insofar, cause they're, they're trying to take care of her. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, he turned, he put on the humidifier for her so that she would fall asleep <laughs> and uh, that kind of thing. But like, I liked how they all kind of teamed up. And but then other stuff like Marvin showing up in a tuxedo to watch <laughs> not even like WWE wrestling, mm. but like local pay-per-view wrestling that somehow costs $60 <laughs> and that kind of thing. So I just really enjoyed all of that kind of stuff. And it was I, I like that. I liked seeing them work together to achieve a common goal, but even to get like. So like you said, subverted in even into the point where Jessica sells the new TV <laughs> no. and gets a smaller one. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And I, I just love that. I, that their whole thing ended up like collapsing just a little bit because they weren't honest with one another. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I love that. And I, I, I also love that 
Emery owed Marvin $50 <laughs> because there's no way a crawfish would lose to a shark. <laughs> yeah, no, that was, that was fun. The, the creativity of the, the wrestlers and the backstories yeah. and everything was delightful. And yeah. yeah, again, like you said, the teamwork of it is a lot of fun to see. So I co-sign everything you said. I don't really have anything to add. It was very no. funny. And, and then the funny. turn of her being at, the uh the game was at the match i should say at the the pay-per-view event was like i don't know why i didn't see it coming but i didn't i didn't either was the thing is like i was but i was so delighted by how they framed it of it's like melrose place but sweatier and with (laughs) more violence i forget what more violence and she's just like those are the two things i've always said that melrose place needed (laughs) it's just like oh i i I will never not love melrose place as a runner for jessica the same thing with the stephen king novels but i love it it's so good it's good it's a lot of fun um next up is speechless and we have ch cheater this was another really strong episode i thought the 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 c plot of dylan accidentally becoming a, a fashion magnet like at her school was was a little meh for yeah, me yeah. but everything else was so terrific particularly the punch of the ending that um yes that yeah. i didn't really care right no the punch of the ending is it came out of like nowhere for me really mm-hmm. just like and part of that is because of the type of sea story they give dylan yeah because it's yeah. so fluffy you don't anticipate that Right, no, so the episode ends with uh, um, them having a discussion about what JJ's life is after, and what it, and is like after his parents, but after like high school, like if he's living by himself, long term yeah. type stuff, but also like financially supportive, and Ray going to the career fair, wanting a job that is financially lucrative, because he wants to be able to make sure that JJ will be taken care of in some capacity is really good because it feels like a react. And Jimmy assumes that it's a reaction to like their current economic status, but it's, it has nothing to do with that mm-hmm. and everything to do with wanting to make sure that JJ's okay, that there's insurance. And it just turns on a dime really quickly after he explains this and this idea of that. It's also something that's been weighing on Dylan as well. And JJ overhears uh, Maya just saying, well, I don't think that he'd be able to stay on his own. And JJ hearing this and then going immediately to um, Kenneth's apartment uh, to talk. And it's just, and getting to Kenneth's apartment, I think is a great continual runner of JJ's ability to navigate things Mm -hmm. and demonstrate that he can do this. Yeah. I think is really significant, but just the degree to which that JJ's never really been particularly fond of this kind of a thing, uh, this kind of a mentality, even if at the same time he's proven the entire episode that he's been benefiting from this kind of mm-hmm. underestimation of uh, from all his teachers and this kind of protectiveness from his teachers uh, was just a, it's, this show's so good yeah. at structuring all of this in its first season we keep coming back to that point that this is doesn't feel like a first season. Yeah. This is yeah. another one of those shows that was eligible for the best new show this year, by the way. Yeah. It didn't even, it didn't even occur to me though, because I don't right. think of it as a new show. Yeah. Yeah. Cause but, it's way uh, too confident. Yeah. The, the other thing I'd point out with that is the, the stuff that we're getting with the other reason that the end surprises you somewhat is that we have gotten such a runner of Ray 
caring about money yeah. and like like with the country club kind of thing and these other things of him liking right. wanting and, nicer things yeah yeah that's so, a good so, point and so it feels so natural that that this would be something he would be concerned about and it and then like oh the moral of the story is going to be now before it was with maya that that lesson now he's gonna have that you know with his dad instead um but it this is so accurate to kids like mm-hmm. this is this is like that because you don't necessarily know what they're thinking about. And they could be thinking about reptile wrestling. But they also yeah. <laughs> will just, they'll just surprise you with these moments of real insight, depth, and and clarity. Um, and so it just felt so organic and real. Um, so yeah, and and the the and like this kind of conversation that these characters do need to have at some point, and then just the unfortunate timing of JJ coming in then, yeah. um, and hearing some stuff that maybe he didn't need to hear. Um, certainly, at then that moment he didn't need to hear. But um, yeah, so so seeing how, what comes next, I think will be really interesting. Yeah, I think the show's going to maintain its overall standalone tone, but yes. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing if the, this becomes a bit of a like a, a theme through the end of the season or if it's something that they just kind of leave there and pick up with next season. Yeah, no, I think it'll be something that continues through this season. I don't know how many episodes they have left. Um, I can't. There, this about. is episode 19, so oh, okay. I would imagine they have like three. Three-ish, four? yeah, three or yeah. four. Uh, so yeah, no, it'll be... It'll elite. It'll. I. I feel like it'll probably dominate next week's episode to a large degree. I'm hoping it does anyway, because, mm-hmm. like you said, this is a really significant question, and it also speaks to the degree of specificity that this show has, which is one of the things that we've praised it for. But we also praise a number of the ABC comedies for not Imaginary Mary because it's not specific, but. <laughs> um, the understanding of the culture that the show is grounding itself in and how it talks about that culture, I think is really important. And I I think that's why this dime turn, but also like the kids thinking about it, but not necessarily saying it is again, one of those things where it's something that would very obviously be on their minds, but the show's never given that voice before. But now that it does, you can't help but go, Oh yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, yeah. 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 It's terrific. Well, that wraps up our week in comedy. Now for something completely different. Let's talk RuPaul. (laughs) Right. So they did a cheerleading challenge, which I thought was pretty terrific. Um, Yeah. They actually had them flipping up in the, apparently they got a couple days to learn everything we saw and not like the, like minutes that was on screen. Well, that's just an insurance issue if they don't. <laughs> yeah, but I did. I thought that it was a, it was a neat challenge. I liked the white party um, runway yeah. as well. And I mean, <laughs> the comments that we got. Like, I just think of uh, Michelle's comment to Kamora. It might seem like it's a lot of white, but it's a white party. Like that's <laughs> what a white party is. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I thought it was a lot of fun, and it was nice to get. As terrific as the premiere was, it was nice to get back into our normal format and to be reassured, no, RuPaul's going to be in drag this season and we're, we are going to have eliminations. We are going to have lip syncs. Yeah. Uh, so I thought it was a, a strong continuation of the season. Yeah, I did too. And like you, I really, I, I think I liked the white um, 
I think I like the white party uh, realness uh, a bit more than I like the cheer stuff, mm-hmm. um, which is fine. It's it's neither here nor there. I, I I mainly just like the the when they get to strut their own stuff. I always respond better than necessarily doing something like the sketches or the skits. Yeah. Um, and that's just me. That's where I like to see the show work. But I also enjoy stuff like uh, Michelle going, why did you wear a flesh colored shoe? <laughs> and that kind of a thing where you just go, why did you wear a flesh colored shoe? Because that doesn't make any sense. And Valentina, everything else is so gorgeous and perfect right. and spot on. And right. don't and tell why me you don't won. have a single right. white, shoe. white shoe. Right. And that's why she won because it was like pitch perfect. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I very much agree that it was just a very strong kind of return episode. I think one of the other things with like the um, the cheerleading stuff and why I liked like the white party more is that I couldn't necessarily like always pick people out because I'm still like learning faces mm-hmm. and that kind of a thing. So it's just like, oh, this is a this is interesting. And I like ha- what everyone's doing, but it's everyone to me mm-hmm. as opposed to individuals, which is a struggle. But at the same time, we did call it last week uh, with uh, James Mansfield going home uh, unsurprisingly to everyone. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, that's what needed to happen. And it was really interesting. I watched um, for the first time I watched uh, Untucked, which is like the okay. behind the scenes kind of yeah. YouTube show that used to be on um, after I think back in Back in like the, the day, earlier yeah. seasons, yeah. yeah. Um, but now it's on YouTube, and it's about twenty-five minutes. I watched the Untucked for the premiere and for this episode, and it's like when they send the the queens back. That's mm-hmm. that the time when they're waiting for, and the judges are talking or whatever. That's yeah. what we see, um, and it was really. It was really interesting and 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 terrific and highly. I mean, that's what everybody says. I'm very late to the bandwagon on this, so this is not not a new scoop or anything. But if you if you haven't checked that out yet, do like, check that out. What do they like discuss? Like in with this episode in particular, like what was under discussion? Or well, like, like... so first the people who are safe get sent back, right? Okay. So then right. then they're talking about oh who's on the top, who's on the bottom. What do you think of the challenge? Like all these different things. They talked about Cynthia Lee Fontaine, of course, coming back. And, it, you know, they had a little discussion of that stuff. And then when they send that when everybody else comes back in, then they talk like, what do they say? And it was just like one of the first comments. Um, I don't remember who said it when they're like the first group was sent back. They're like, yeah, I knew, I knew we were the safe group as soon as Che Kule wasn't in there because she was amazing. And mm-hmm. she def- like we definitely think she won. Yeah. Um, just because her look was so ridiculously awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so like here, like that, just kind of the candid conversation of, oh yeah, no, clearly. Cause this, you know, like she's in the top. So as soon as she wasn't in the list, I knew that we were middle and yeah. you know, like that, that kind of stuff. And then talking, having, um, they have the different, <laughs> of course, somebody always, it, it seems gotta like, stir it gotta, 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 gotta ask, well, who do you think is going home? Like who's the bottom? Who's, and you, you have the person saying, well, I think it's going to be me. No, it's not going to be you. Like <laughs> that drama. Uh, but no, it was, it was uh, there. Are, I think any person who makes it onto RuPaul's Drag Race is very aware when the camera's on them because you yeah. have to be. Right. But there was, it did feel a little, quite quite a bit less scripted and it felt more real and, and sure. more genuine, the interactions. Um, so that was, that was kind of neat. Um, and also the, okay. just on a purely aesthetic level, the lighting is so very different mm-hmm. that to just to see everybody 
not with stage lighting like the mm-hmm. makeup and everything is really neat for me as okay. like on te- like the the colors and everything are so completely different than okay. how the, the looks look on the runway. Um so that was really just on an aesthetic level really neat I'll for have me to too. Check that out. I'm 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 interested about the aesthetics of that. So yeah, I'll I'll check that yeah, out. Cuz yeah, it's just like overhead backstage yeah. lighting. Right. It's nothing. Yeah. So that, that that's like a it's not a feature, it's like a detail, mm-hmm. but I, I but I thought that was really neat. Mm-hmm. Anyways, this is a long way to say B52s were a lot of fun. Fun challenge. I thought the lip sync was pretty decent. Yeah, it was. Um, though I, while I was watching, it, I immediately was going, "Yeah, James, you're going home because you're yeah. you don't seem super engaged by this song. That's a standard." Um, yeah. Then I, I was really surprised by that. So I was just yeah. like, "Yeah, your heart's not in this." Yeah, yeah. That no, no. Yeah. James mm-hmm. needed to go, and mm-hmm. the and it was surprising because when James was leaving, on mm-hmm. untucked. There was a confidence. So I was like, "Why did you not show that?" Like, like okay. the walk away. I was like, "Why did you not show that when you were there?" Because, like, I think because the pressure was off at that point. Oh, mm-hmm. So I, I, you know, it was interesting. It was interesting. So I okay. would highly recommend that. Um, what wins your week in comedy and reality? That's a good question. Um, I guess fresh off the boat just made me laugh a whole lot, but. Mm-hmm. Ah, that end of Speechless. Uh, yeah, but, I got to get yeah. me Speechless. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I understand that. And I don't disagree either. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, now we'll take a break and come back with our weekend genre. This week in genre, Noel's going to talk a bit about the premiere of Dimension 404 Matchmaker. I'll talk a little bit about the surprise Rick and Morty season three premiere, the Rick Shank Rick Den- <laughs> the Rick Shank Redemption. Um, we'll both talk about the iZombie premiere. Heaven just got a little bit smoother, and we'll round things out with the Legends of uh, Tomorrow finale, Leg- uh, Aruba, Aruba. Aruba. So first up is dimension 404 now i had forgotten like i didn't didn't even know what this was until you told me about it and then i searched it up i was like oh this is that thing that mark hamill's narrating yes so what is this right so this is a six episode anthology series that um science fiction driven um that feels a little bit lighter at least the first episode does than like twilight zone or outer limits it feels like a funny ish version i think it's the best way because i don't feel like it wants to go whole comedy even if matchmaker is sort of aggressively funny in a lot of ways but it and based on like what people have told me about black mirror this feels very much like a riff on like black mirror insofar as we're doing modern culture and modern technology type stuff 
uh, which is what Matchmaker is the first episode, though in a uh, drift from Hulu's typical model, they dropped the first three episodes um, on the fourth of uh, this on the fourth this week. And so, that's what they're going to be doing with uh, um, the Handmaid's Tale as well. Oh, are they? Okay, yeah. Cool. So I'm wondering if that's um, like a new thing that they're trying. It's not a bad idea, honestly, insofar as like generating buzz. I think mm-hmm. as of because of the model and everything, but that's something to keep in mind when a uh, handmaid's tale, uh, yeah. hits budgeting um, for time. Yes. <laughs> yeah. At the end of the month. Uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so anyway, so matchmaker has, uh, Leah Michelle, Robert Buckley, um, Joel McHale and Matt Jones. Um, and in this universe, Buckley's looking for love and finds it on a dating site. um, and dating app and he meets leah michelle and they kind of start hitting it off and it's about two three months in and he's just like i'm gonna propose to her she's gonna be the one i spend the rest of my life with and she rejects the proposal and he starts like getting really like upset about it not like in a dangerous way but in a kind of a kind of a clingy way yeah and she pulls out her phone and like hits like a panic thing and these guys rush in and abduct him and it turns (laughs) out that he's a custom-made clone for her, a synthetic human, as part of the dating site's actual model is creating the perfect partner for you, literally. Mm-hmm. And so he actually finds out that he's the fifth Adam. <laughs> that he's Adam Five, which they make a very quick uh, mention of, and I yeah. see you show. <laughs> and he, so you get to see Robert Buckley play all these different types of himself, his of Adam, which is very entertaining because Buckley's a very talented comedic actor. And so we get to see all this, but it's all fine-ish. Like the whole, oh, we, we keep trying to find the thing that we love and we think we know what we want. And it ends with them escaping. And Joel McHale plays the guy who... Um, created the site and his last name is literally maker so at some point adam meets his maker Mm -hmm. yes literally and they make a small joke about that as well so it's all very it's aware of what it's doing but the first episode is about 38 minutes and it's too long at 38 minutes i feel like there's a weird amount of padding and Mm -hmm. but you also have to explain this really kind of convoluted premise in a really in a way that makes sense but also like lays a foundation for the end of everything and the whole synthetic human revolt and all this sort of stuff. So it's not as streamlined as it should be. And it's not as like uh, satirical as it probably should be as well. So I didn't feel compelled to like watch the next two episodes, uh, which are called Synthrax, which has Patton Oswalt and then Bob, which has like Tom Noonan and Constance Wu and Megan Mullally, all three of people who I love, as we yeah. all know. So, but I just, I don't know quite where I, the show's tone is, I think, based on this first episode. And um, it's so self-aware of its lineage that even the opening is, like, aggressively Twilight zone mm-hmm. And as, oh, well, we're still, it's like the adjust your dial thing becomes, well, your video is still buffering sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And you're getting plunged into a 404 type of thing. So I don't know quite how to feel about any of this because it doesn't, it's very much aware of what's come before it, but it's not as good as anything that's come before it either. Mm. And at least based on the first episode, which is n- you're inviting comparisons very quickly. Yeah. And that's not a good thing to do when you're not like up to stuff, basically. 
Well, uh, it's so, not like it's serialized. Yeah. So theoretically, they put the episode they thought was strongest first. Right. And and maybe they think that Bob or Sin- Sinithrax might be stronger. It's there's. I, w- I was about to say there's no way of knowing, but there's obviously a way of knowing. I could just watch the episodes. <laughs> uh, but I feel like that's fair. It's like they got an episode with a number of really recognizable fa- current faces mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And it just, it doesn't quite land. And it's also, it's very bright. Like at least this first episode is like aggressively bright mm-hmm. in terms of its lighting and everything. And yeah, I... I I, I kept drifting, which is not a great sign, I think, um, at least with this particular storyline. Maybe maybe one of these other episodes is a little more up my alley. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Because you think about, um, you know, we've talked about on the podcast uh, at various times, uh, I've talked about at least uh, Twilight Zone and Outer Limits and the difference between the half hour versus the hour yeah. is huge, huge right. in this kind of a show. And so 38 tells me they're shooting for 42. Yeah. You didn't quite make it instead of like like 30 or 35 means they're shooting for a half an hour. Like 38 yeah. is a very interesting length. Right. It's, it's a weird length and you've, and it's aggressive in how much I felt it. Yeah. Which is, and I think in part because it's a weird length, uh, even though like I've gotten used to like episodes of hour longs being an actual hour at this point. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I kept looking at the little timer and going, is this done yet? How is this how how do you still have material left type yeah. of thing? Were they trying yeah. to make it long enough that they could sell it with commercials to be an hour? Yeah. You know, and but then it ended up at Hulu or, you know, the Hulu wanted right. that option because obviously now Transparent is streaming or is Aaron going to be Aaron Sundance TV. So that's now an option for some of these other streaming shows to eventually right. end up on broadcast, too. So, you know, yeah. The, of yeah. Course the- and this I, I'm like 80 percent positive that like this wasn't developed with Hulu in mind. Mm hmm. So it like ended up there. So I think that the timing length of it is a possibility. Yeah. You're right. I think Though the anyway, easiest sorry. thing to do is to just look at the <laughs> lengths of the other episodes and that would tell us something, yeah. but, but yeah, that's interesting. It's interesting. Yeah. You'd think that shows when they find themselves at these different distribution mode models, you know, would then yeah. re-edit if necessary, but um, yeah. who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Uh, well, that's interesting. I will probably check it out when I get some time. So like, sure. you know, in June, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> but, and I think, that, and I think, like as a summer show, this might have been okay. But as something in a really crowded April spring landscape, it's aggressively inessential right now. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. Um, less inessential for me, at least, and I know very <laughs> inessential for you is <sighs> Rick and Morty: The Rick Shank Redemption. Now, I really like this episode. Um, if they had aired Samurai Jack this week. Would you, if the, like, everything about this was the same, but they just had also aired Samurai Jack, would you be okay with this coming back? I mean, I'm perfectly okay with Rick and Morty coming back, even though it's not my thing. I've tried like two episodes and it's, it's very much not like something that I respond to, but I was, I got done with work and I hadn't watched the episode over the weekend. So I was just like, I'm going to watch this after I finished work on Monday, Samurai Jack after work, I'm excited. And then five minutes after hitting play, I'm just like, oh, this Rick and Morty episode has a really long ending. Oh, fast forward. Oh, it's the entire, what happened to my Samurai Jack episode? <laughs> and I was very upset. And I tweeted the gif of um, Laura Dern's character from Enlightened setting the tech room on fire with that <laughs> gasoline can because that's how upset I was at uh, William Street for doing this to me. Um, but 
I'm glad that it was apparently a good episode. Yeah, oh, I was was hilarious, of course, for us. This is a, yeah. a stealth drop. Is that, of course, friend of the show Zach Hanlon that went what? Uh, new, I guess I'm writing a review tonight because <laughs> he reviews it over at the AV Club. Right. So he had to just like, you know, drop whatever he was doing and try to get a review out immediately. Um, yeah, at like, two a.m. probably. Yeah, it was well because it was like all day, you know, and they were going to take it down too. Uh, off mm-hmm. Cartoon Network that day too, so it was just a whole thing. But I thought it was a really fun and ridiculous restart for the next season. The way that season two ended, um, it would be very easy for the show to get too warm, gooey nougat center heart. Um, okay, or which is not that show based with, on what I know and watch. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay. So you watched episodes from the first season, right? Uh, I don't know. Um, I can't tell you what one of the episodes was because it's like really hazy. The other episode I watched, and this was the episode that I kind of just went, I, this is not for me, is Mm -hmm. an episode where there's a bunch of alt versions of them and they keep having to erase them or time travel, or maybe it's a time travel episode, Mm -hmm. but there's a weird one where they're like talking to one another in like different film cells almost. I, I feel like that. Yeah, and <laughs> so I just this, immediately went. This, this is not. This a show would for not me right be now. for you then, okay? Because yeah. I did not respond to the first uh, season at all, mm-hmm. um, and then I tried it out in season two and really liked it because uh, they mm-hmm. made some tweaks to the tone and everything. And the end of this premiere has me a little concerned that they're going more towards the season one tone than the season two tone, which I didn't respond to. But there is a lot that's just, that does really work here. Like the the notion that there's a central cit- citadel of all the Ricks and all the Mortys from all the different universes <laughs> where they can all hide out from the cops um, is super fun. Uh, Nathan Fillion voices a intergalactic cop kind of character. Right. Um, in Rick's mind, uh, who like beams into Rick's mind to try to get some information from him. The safe place in his mind is a Shoney's, which I think is delightful. Um, are you familiar with Shoney's? Yeah, of course. Yes. My okay. grandmother um would make us go to Shoney's for dinner because it was the only place she would eat until she found a hair on a fork, and then we weren't allowed to eat there anymore. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, that yeah. does sound. That sounds about right. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but so, so yeah, just it was it was really entertaining, and there was enough balance of character and heart that I thought that that did work very well until the very end, where they push hard against that and back you know towards the more abusive relationship between rick and morty we got in season one uh having the parents get divorced or or separated off screen is an interesting choice for them uh hopefully chris parnell will still be around doing voice work for them just popping up here and there but um but no it just it's such a colorful entertaining world and the, the the characters are so distinct that they can have a lot of fun with them certainly and as it's, it's just such a meta show as well that given what we've been watching in legion having a world inside rick's mind that then they think they're going into a memory but really it all has been a construct of rick's mind tricking the cop into thinking it was a memory because then he couldn't be like falsifying anything because it was a memory not a mind like i was like oh this is lovely (laughs) someone got incepted yeah yeah exactly you know because just seeing the comedic self-aware take on that immediately after watching several weeks of that on legion the timing of it worked really well for me so i had a lot of fun with rick and morty and i'm glad that it at least for this episode is back i don't know when the rest of the season is back but uh not in not for a little while i think, I think like, they like drop here 
Yeah, I think there's like I think there's like a month and a half before it comes back. That sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. At least <laughs> which is which seems really cruel to Rick and Morty fans. No, well, this <laughs> is sort of just like an extra bonus, you know, April first, you know, thing for them. Um, yeah, but a really mean April Fool's prank for Samurai Jack fans. Touche, touche, <laughs> and also Zach. But he was—I think he was glad to get the episode because yeah, he, he liked yeah. that one as well. Um, another show that we are both glad to have back, is, I think, is iZombie and their Ooh. premiere. Having just got a little bit smoother, <laughs> you're Miss a bigger you, fan Thomas. than I am of this one. Um, yeah. I—I actually really like this premiere, and I'm very excited about the new direction. But um, you're the bigger fan of, of the show, yeah. of the two of us. So, what did you think of iZombie? I really like the premiere. Um, I also really like next week's episode. But um, <laughs> this premiere is really, really good in that it picks up like immediately after we left off with the Max Rager uh, massacre. And we've got Vivian Stoll and uh, Fillmore Graves, which is just the best company name ever. And that kind of thing. And so we have her sort of maybe kind of but not really explain her whole idea of seattle as the zombie home homeland uh but they have a small island but also the fact that they have basically a small army of zombie soldiers and zombie students who have propaganda posters in their hallway that says don't be that guy tan and die <laughs> and that kind of fun stuff of like how zombies can blend in without like being discovered by humans before Z-Day happens. D-Day. D-Day, sorry. How D-Day happens and that kind of a thing. And then someone knows and someone finds out. And it's personal for Clive, which is exciting because mm -hmm. uh, Clive isn't personal, <laughs> and uh, which gives him finding out uh, something more to latch onto than him just knowing at this point. And I think that that's a really significant and important step for the show to give him is that he has this connection to uh, the first, really the first victims of this potential string of zombie murders that is about to happen. And instead of being like concerned just about live or major, he's, he's realizing that there's something bigger happening here that, is personal for him. And I really like that aspect as he comes into the know and is kind of uncomfortable with it, but it kind of rolls with it in a very Clive way. So I like that. Um, the only thing I'm not a fan of uh, right now is uh, Ravi's boss. The CDC lady um, is a weird inclusion to have, I think right now um, when we've got a whole bunch of other stuff going on, including like, uh, Blaine's amnesia continuing and Don E thawing out Blaine's dad and the whole, this whole thing spinning out that I didn't necessarily need Ravi's ex-boss coming in for a reason. It could have to, literally to, been to potentially uncover that right. there are zombies. That's, that's right. the only reason she's there. That's, that's the only reason she's there, but I also just didn't need it to be her, his ex-boss basically. Mm -hmm. is, I think where I fall on that is like, I don't really need that aspect of this particular character. I just like the fact that he left the CDC disgruntled, but it also helps explain why he's so good at all this zombie cure stuff. I mean, mm -hmm. that's, that's just the hand wave. I need it. I didn't, ne didn't necessarily need it fleshed out. Uh, so no, it's a really solid premiere. It's got a lot of really good elements to it, including David Anders uh, singing on a funeral organ, which is delightful. 
Um, but how did you feel about it? Because I love this show. It's one of my favorite shows. Um, you're acknowledged, have acknowledged and acknowledged here that this you don't love it as much as I do, but you like this premiere. So what did you like about the premiere? Well, let me start out with the clear, obvious, biggest weak part of this. Sure. That's going to be immediately frustrating and they just need to stop. The Blaine Amnesia thing, at least tell the audience, we all know he's faking. It's going to be really stupid if he's not faking. But what's going to happen is they're going to give the cure to Major, and then he's going to be like, I didn't lose in my memories. And they'll be like, aha! I mean, like, come on. Obviously, Blaine is faking his amnesia, and it's they're not doing a good job. Uh, like, it seems like they're, they're winking. Anders is winking in to that so much in his performance, and the script is as well, that it just it makes me feel like they think we're stupid. Um, mm-hmm. So that was already irritating to me just in this sure. first episode. Um, right. So there's that. And uh, other than that, though, I did really like a lot of what we get here. Like you said, making it, making things personal for Clive is, is smart. Um, the, the biggest shift for me in this is I, I was very surprised with the turn of Vivian's group. Because mm-hmm. in the finale, it seemed like, no, we're declaring war on humans and we're right. going to eat them all. This is very, very different from that. They completely yes. retooled in the offseason. And I think that yeah. was very smart. It was. It, no, it was very smart because, like, even I had concerns about what this was going to do. And I still think that there's room for this to be a potential thing of them. Oh, yeah, that's uh, going to happen. She's right. going to get radicalized. And- Right. And I, I I don't think that she's not already radicalized. I think she's just an incrementalist in mm-hmm. what she's planning and she wants to shore things up. And I think that's where she falls is that I, I would not put it past her to just start chomping on people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, it's why you buy the Max Rager formula. And, and they make a big point about mentioning that we're the only ones who have that now. Yeah. Wink, wink nudge mm-hmm. nudge <laughs> but yeah the 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 stuff we got with the other characters i thought worked pretty well i like the stuff we got with Liv. i like the stuff we got with ravi i like that that they're continuing that thread of that one guy that a woman i should say that that major um froze you know and was mm-hmm. that he's still looking for her i think that's that's important and giving giving him stuff that is not centered around love interest yeah. work i think is smart so so um yeah we'll see we'll see what happens but it was a i think a smart retooling and certainly i'm look i'm more excited about it now than i was mm-hmm. before but this episode also doesn't have what i consider the weakest part of the show which a lot of people consider one of the strengths of the show which is the lack of a central character because the brains overpower the central character. Um, so uh, this didn't really have that. They they had some soldier stuff, but for the most part, it was it was a soldier filter, but very much still live um, yeah. throughout. And the the balance of that I thought was much better in this episode than it has been in most of the rest of the show because it still felt like her. Right, but it it's also like it's her in part because like it's wearing off. Mm-hmm. And, but is the thing about it is, is, and this gets back to like a season one type of thing where this is something that kind of faded away a little bit in season two to a certain degree, but it, like the use of the brain was very much like a way of dealing with something internally for her. Yeah. And in this in case, and she like outright acknowledges, it's just like, 
once this brain wears off, I have to deal with everything that we just did. And I don't want to. Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm not eating another brain is that I, I, I want this in me. Mm -hmm. And but also at the same time, like it helps to shift Major's trajectory into becoming a soldier in that he recognizes the brain as giving him a sense of routine and that degree of place that he doesn't have anymore at all, Mm -hmm. Um, as he realizes when his face is uh, splashed across newspapers um, that he doesn't have any place to go except this one zombie army that doesn't care that he's a not serial killer. I'm not that excited about, about major little joining the initiative though. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm really interested in how that plays out because it, it at least gives us um, ways of exploring Fillmore graves um, without them having to be like antagonistic every week or shifty every week. He can like see different aspects of the company and yeah, give us I access mean, to that kind of a thing. And I'm 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 excited about that. He he can. I just don't have any faith that he will. I have <laughs> no faith that this will not be exactly the initiative from season four of Buffy. <laughs> uh no, it's it could be the initiative from season four of Buffy. Um maybe just you know, oh, not with yes. the government and with this other thing instead and you know, with mommy running things at the top, because of course mm-hmm. these are all her zombie babies. So Right. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. see. I would like to be wrong. Um, (laughs) So let's, uh, do you have any other thoughts about the iZombie premiere? Anything, other details you want to touch on? Okay, well then let's move on. Well, you didn't say your thoughts about the amnesia thing. I can't. Oh, because you know things. Okay, never mind. Spoilers because screeners. Very nice. We'll talk about it next week. Let's move on to Legends of Tomorrow, which had its its season finale, Aruba. And this has already been renewed for next season, right? Yes. Yeah. So so we... Which makes it a very interesting thing for them to deal with next year. (laughs) Yeah, which I I like. I like the way that they ended that and how they're going to have fun deciding what crosses over with what when um but right. i thought it was a solid if not great finale and cert- i think it would have been better if they'd aired these two back to back yes no i think that this would have been a better thing to do back to back i think you're right and it also would have given us the original intended two-part i zombie premiere um <laughs> But uh, no, they needed to be aired back to back because I, I, it, very, it doesn't allow Doom World like we discussed to like linger too much, and it deals with like a lot of the fallout of Doom World very very quickly, and I think that that's really important. Um, I and I thought that this was fun, but it also reminded me of when uh, Legends of Tomorrow wants to do character work, it's not necessarily very good at it. Because being reminded that Sarah is like evil and has a darkness within her, I keep going, guys, we've we've moved on from that. You don't talk about that really ever. And I get the I get the revenge aspect with Damien, but it's also been something that basically hasn't existed since the 1980s episode when they went to the Reagan administration. It hasn't been a thing up until this point. And I think that's kind of where I fall is like, there's so many characters and we discussed this last week is that there's so many characters that they can't really dedicate enough time to each of them to be really consistent. So this, again, this idea of darkness, but now it's closed. It's like finito. It's done. She talked to Laurel. It's okay. Laurel's okay with it. We're all good. 
right? I see that's interesting because for me that darkness is always present in Sarah and I'm always aware right. of it and so it was completely natural and it was actually a, it spoke so strongly to how she's matured and progressed that she mm-hmm. was aware of it and like didn't feel like it needed to be a conversation you know? yeah. like like I actually really appreciated that I thought the scene with Laurel worked really well and um it was 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 I thought that was very sweet, and I like the way that they continue to use Katie Cassidy when it's appropriate in those kind of flashback things. I think she works really well. So I'm like, why didn't why didn't you write her and didn't the performance work this well when she was alive on the show, guys? Come on. Um, anyways, uh, <laughs> but I, I liked how Sarah centric this stuff was. Um, the to continue the metaphor of the Tolkien stuff, the sense of her as, um. As a, as a, well, as, as a Galadriel figure mm-hmm. of, I would use this to do good. And, yeah. you, know, you know, I would be, you know, it's, it's some either the Gandalf thing where, that he talks about or the Galadriel the way that she talks about it. But, like, I, I really like that thread throughout. And then the the way that they dealt with it, the fake out, I thought worked really well, where you think he, oh, no, it's too late. And no, she just did it right. That's the right way to do it. Um, Was was very effective um the there's still too many characters but i'm glad they wrote off off rip i'm glad that sarah didn't fight that too hard yeah (laughs) yeah for for now um um so that that was good the having this air back to back just would have resolved a lot of the issues i had with the previous episode well not a lot of several of them but the biggest one being the stuff with mick because they the the realizations they give him at the end of this are ones they should have given him last week um, yeah. and so, you know, like, he's like, you were a better person when you were with, you know, you're going to b- become a better person and then you're going to die. Um, it would have been nice if there had been more examples of that, you know, like more like Mick is a man of few words, so you, he's not going to do a soliloquy, but hey, he saved George Washington. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but, but, but just that, that awareness of him that he's better and like just saying I'm better or, you know, like that. I would like to have a more straightforward demonstration of that, you know? Yeah. Um, but we'll see if they embrace that for next season. That would be kind of nice if they did. Yeah. How'd you and, feel about like the Amaya stuff? Um, well, the thing, and we discussed this last week is like the Amaya stuff was going to be undone. I, I, I liked how they dealt with the time copies, um, just killing them. Um, yeah, very unceremoniously, though, even like my jaw kind of dropped a little bit uh, when uh, Eobard ripped off Ray's heart. Yeah, I just went, oh, oh, and then I remembered time travel uh-huh. and doubles. And I just went, yeah. oh, OK, well, it's fine. Even though I just <laughs> went, oh, I guess Brandon Routh got tired of being on the show and wanted to go back <laughs> to doing bit parts in movies again, even though this is like the perfect venue for him. Mm-hmm. Um so I, I liked how they dealt with that, but so it, it resolved the Maya stuff insofar as I'm just like, well, I knew this was how it was going to work because it creates issues if it doesn't work out like this. Mm-hmm. Um, but she also has to like get back to the forties so that she can go back to Africa and yeah. set the chain of events off. So I'm like curious about it. Basically my issues with Maya basically feed into I hope that next season provided that they she's don't a keep, character. She's a character is exactly where I was going. Like I kind of just want their whole time storm thing to be like an episode that they managed to fix really quickly or two episodes. Mm-hmm. And then like 
she becomes a character because I would really like that. Okay. And to not be like defined by uh, wanting to avenge one guy or being super interested in another guy or defined by when she's from and not who she is. Yeah, exactly. And so something, and I acknowledge that a lot of that may have to do with the fact in part because they have too many characters, but also the fact that she doesn't know who she necessarily is outside of the JSA, but Mm -hmm. the show doesn't do anything to redefine her even as a member of the legends or anything else. She's just, I've got these particular two goals and those are the only things I care about, which is better than what they gave to Jax all season who had nothing Mm -hmm. driving him. Uh, But there, at least I kind of know who Jax is a little bit. I still don't know who Amaya is really aside from overly loyal to men. They really didn't have Victor Garber for this. Was he filming the flash? musical when they were doing this or something probably yeah that would explain why he's just like they he's just not in this um and the stuff you know yeah that was it was very strange to me uh but yeah what i need for next season is i need more sarah badass leader i think that's been the single smartest change from this season i need sarah's badass long coat back yeah that'd be nice um i need ray and mick buddy duo yes because they didn't give us like any of that this season. It's way better when they do. Um, yeah. And then Amaya being a character and everything else kind of is like under that. Like, I really like the stuff they gave Victor Garber with the character's daughter, with Stein's daughter this this season. Again, they've shown they can do it when they yeah. want to. So like, how about or you when it- Victor Garber just keeps poking at them to do it? <laughs> and very publicly going they kept forgetting i had a wife and it's just like oh well this character feels like a response to the fact that victor garber was upset with the writers forgetting that stein had a wife yeah so maybe you know let's have somebody slip a note under the writer's room door and be like by the way we still have no sense of who amaya is please yeah. you know let us figure out like what's her favorite color what's the food she likes what's the favorite book that she's read i mean come yeah. on like anything yeah. she and she at least remembers the wizard of oz so that's good thumbs There's, up there thumbs up thumbs up yeah but yeah go on sorry how do you feel are you excited about this whole like dinosaurs in 2017 thing uh kind of even though like me being like a continuity nerd i just immediately go well this doesn't make any sense for the other two sh- three two shows uh, well but it depends on when when did they land in 2017 that's fair but i feel like people would have noticed like big ben in los angeles oh well there's that yeah they're gonna they're gonna fix it next year i think it'll be fine they'll unwrite it so it never happened but right it'll be fine and guggenheim like confirmed that like the team was going to be different i don't know if that was just like rip's departure Mm -hmm. um but i also feel like the core group of um like ray sarah Jax, and stein and mick aren't going anywhere yeah. Um, mainly because Jackson Stein can't go anywhere, literally, because the two of them will die without one another. Yeah. Um, because of the Firestorm Matrix. <laughs> kind of important. At least Stein will die. I don't know about yeah. Jax, but Stein will die without a counterpart, yeah. basically. Yeah. Um, but if if Amaya and Nate left, I, I, I can't be upset if they leave because yeah. they don't really exist for me in a way. Mm-hmm. And I... I, I I would much rather, to your point, see 
Nick and Ray be bros and do crazy things than see have more of Nate and Ray be nerdy bros together because that that they're really, too similar. They're way too similar. They're I mean they're too TV handsome. They're too like personality wise. They're too mm-hmm. similar. They're goofy and, nerds. Right, they're goofy nerds, and it's charming that they're both goofy nerds, but there's no contrast, there's no foil, and that's mm-hmm. why Goofy Ray with Nick works a lot better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Fair enough. I do yeah. think it was, for the show, I think, like, obviously, I think we can agree, a distinct improvement over season one. Yes. So, hope they're moving the right direction, and we'll see what they come up with for season they three. They are. And I'll be curious to see what they do, like, Big Bad Wise next season. Um, since as much as I enjoyed the Legion of Doom, yeah. uh, they they never felt like a huge, huge threat or mm-hmm. any sort of thing. But they were a more entertaining non-threat than Vandal Savage was, which yeah. is what matters when you're doing a fun show. So. Yeah. Yeah, entertaining is much more important than actually scary, I think. Um, yeah. for, certainly for this show. But yeah. Well, what wins your week in genre? Uh, I'll give it to the iZombie premiere this week, uh, which probably isn't a surprise. Um, but yeah, no, it was just, it was so good to have it back after way too long of a hiatus. <laughs> um, but no, I was really glad to have it back. What about you? What one your week? Was it the Rick and Morty surprise premiere? Um, it's really close for me with Rick and Morty and iZombie. Uh-huh. Um, I think I'm just going to give it to Rick and Morty because it's shorter. And I feel like the zombie premiere, there was like, they could have cut some stuff. It was a little, it was a little baggy. So I'll give it to Rick and Morty this week. Um, Now we'll take a break and come back with our weekend drama. This week in drama, I'm going to talk a little bit about the season five premiere of Prison Break. Oh, Gija, Gija, I, I like just watched this, listeners, and I already forgot how the prison is pronounced. And they very clearly pronounce it several times in the episode, and I apologize. That's right, I watched my first ever episode of Prison Break, and it was season five, episode one. We'll talk, talk about that in a little bit, but then we'll also talk Feud, Betty and Joan, and the winner is the Oscars of 1963. Uh, we'll talk Underground, Whiteface, American Crime, season three, episode four, and we'll round things out with The Good Fight, Reddick, the Bozeman. Um, first up is Prison Break, and I decided to check this out because why not? You know, I've never seen Prison Break. But, sure, you don't have enough TV to watch. Oh, you know, and but because also, of course, I enjoy... Um, those two actors on you know what they do on on flash and on legends they have a terrific chemistry and i was like well you know this sounds like the kind of dumb fun 
that would be a nice distraction from some of the stuff going on right now, as opposed to all the super intense, psychological, painful stuff happening on most of the shows that I should have been watching instead of Prison Break. Uh, the thing, that, the number one things that I have here, number two, one and two, was first of all, the you can feel right away the rapport of this cast and how likable and defined the characters are. Even never having seen the show before, the ease that the characters and the actors have with each other is very apparent. And you can see how people who like the show, like what they like about it and that hangout vibe of the different, like the sense of history between the characters works, you know, Mm -hmm. is is apparent immediately. Um, Obviously the leads have, you know, Wentworth Miller and Dominic Purcell have terrific chemistry. They're barely in the, in the frame together in this first premiere, but um, it's still very apparent and you can absolutely, I can absolutely see why this works to bring back and what's engaging about it. Um, The, the issue I had with it is that, even for someone who's never seen the show before, there was way too much hand-holding in the first episode here. Uh, like, some of the dialogues, like, I know that I didn't see you at this thing because of that other thing. It's been X number of years since we talked, but, you know, like, it's like, guys, you're really just, like... It's been a while. Like, just give that to Dominic Purcell. He'll nail it, and then he'll grunt it or whatever, and then we'll move on, and it'll be appropriate. Like, there... For someone who's never seen the show before, I shouldn't feel like you're holding my hand too much. I'm the sure. viewer that you're not sure about. You know, you you don't want to get lost. And even I was like, okay, guys, I mean, you're back in your old hometown. You thought you were going to get out of here, but now you're just like the rest of us. Like, you're not even a character. You're like bad guy number two. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's ease back on those lines, the dialogue there. Um, but on the whole... I, you know, this is the kind of thing I could see myself mainlining after like letting a few episodes build up and then just having stupid fun with, um, when like if I was sick or something and just looking for a low stress kind of viewing, there's enough energy and fun to it. The sense, again, the, the connection of the characters works really well. Uh, Sarah and Callie is, Callie's is super fun as Sarah here, immediately likable, immediately like. Somebody starts comes after them and she's like making a shank out of a towel rod and like protecting her kid and like super on top of everything. So I liked her immediately, of course. But in, in, in like the way that they introduced and reintroduced all the characters was very efficient and and you could see why it made sense. Like, okay, I can okay. see why they're bringing this back, even though they gave one of the characters an inoperable deadly brain tumor at the end of the show. And they're just have to write around that. They do a decent mm-hmm. job of writing around that. And, um, yeah, it's I, hard I, to write around a brain tumor. Yeah. Well, cause it was, you know, faked inoperable. It, it oh, faked, it faked. It, or okay. that's what they're going to say. And it was part of what he had to say to get them to do the thing so that they could. Yeah. Um, doesn't matter. What matters is, Better than I would have expected. Um, uh, not as good as it could have been, but I see why people enjoy the show. And if if this wasn't such a crazy time for TV, maybe this is something that would be like that would pique my interest to go back and even watch the earlier seasons. So, you know, I think I, I get it. I get it. Will I make yeah. time? We'll see. Probably not week to week, but maybe I'll catch up with it later. Okay. Do you, have you seen any Prison Break? I've watched. I watched the first three or four episodes for the first time like a year ago uh-huh. if then um and uh i think i'm sure i caught like random episodes at some point because it was on for a little while 
Um, well, a little while, four seasons, but I, I caught an, I caught it and I got, I got the gist of the show. It's mm-hmm. breaking out of prisons. I'm <laughs> uh, being like having really good characters do that kind of thing, which is, which is the reason why people really like this show. Uh, but I just, I never like made time to watch it or anything. And I wasn't particularly compelled to watch this, but I'm glad you did. And I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah. I wonder, is, is, has there been a write up of the Win- supernatural Winchester brothers, prison break brothers dynamic and the comparing contrast? Like someone's written that paper, right? I'm sure someone has, but now I want to read that. Cause like the strength, they, they, the shows have the same strengths. Just supernatural also has like genre stuff. But yeah, that's true. There's a lot of like I could see a lot of like supernatural fans also liking Prison Break for very sure. similar reasons. So yeah, we'll see. Um, if you do reach out and let us know. Let's move on to our next episode, though. We have Feud, Betty and Joan, and the winner is the Oscars of 1963. This is, of course, one of the episodes that f- fans of the series and people who know about like the Joan Crawford Betty Davis rivalry will have been waiting for. Right. Which is the utter like ridiculousness of what happened in the at those Oscars. Uh how did did this episode like live up to that for you? Yeah, it did. Like this is this is really legitimately where this feud kicks off. And it it was it's really good and it, it continues a lot of stuff like dealing with women in Hollywood. Uh, I liked how they used uh, Bancroft and Geraldine Page in this uh, particular uh, bit, even though both of those instances are documented and occurred. So Mm -hmm. it wasn't done for like dramatic stuff or anything. Um, And more or less occurred how they depicted it. Not like completely, of course, but yeah, um, to that degree. But I also, it, it just lived up to it. And I just loved the response of and how really quiet that acceptance moment is i think is really significant like it's not a big scenery chewing i got my way type of moment it's a very directed pointed victory at her at betty Mm -hmm. it's not like a here i am type of thing it's a very pointed victory and for her sake type of thing and i really like how just very quiet that moment ends up being for them yeah and so I thought that was really good. Um, the other thing that I really liked about this episode, and this was something that my friend uh, Danielle and I had kind of discussed, was Catherine Hepburn. Mm-hmm. And how she's very much a contemporary of Crawford and Davis. She's like a few years younger than Crawford, but a year older than Davis. Mm-hmm. So this is a woman who is basically in the same boat as they are age-wise and career-wise, but generally thriving. I mean... And just not playing this stuff, not playing these games. And and is not playing into these games. Like they make a point of mentioning like in the Hollywood reel showing Hepburn's Connecticut estate where she's not even going to come to the Oscars and that kind of a thing where she's not refusing to do this. But I mean, at the same time, Hepburn has kind of like a fallow period not long after this and then reemerges like a lion mm-hmm. in the 70s, starting with like, guess who's coming to dinner? And then her career basically had like a third life after that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she also was unlike... Um, Crawford, but similar to Davis, was willing to do television, not as much television as Davis was willing to do, but Hepburn was willing to do television, but Hepburn was just not present in this discussion in a way that struck both Danielle and I as a little weird. So this episode was like a really nice acknowledgement of that. And I really appreciated that they, where they positioned her and gave Crawford like a rant about Hepburn. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
which I really, really liked as well. But uh, yeah, I just, I really enjoyed this episode a lot in just the scheming, uh, the uh, Sarah Paulson showing up as Paige, I thought was really, really good. Even if she doesn't look like Paige really at mm-hmm. all, but she sounded like Paige, at least to me. And I really appreciated that aspect of it. But yeah, it was just, it was a really good episode. And I'm really eager to see what the show's going to do now that we've moved into the things proper. How did you feel about this though? Well, it's, I, it was sort of to me like that. There's such a feeling of culmination in yeah. the walk off of the stage Oh, God, that I'm so like, good. wait, there's three more episodes. Yeah. What? Like, so, and, and yes, I know that they, you know, I know some of what's going to happen next, you know? So like, as far as films, they, uh, the, the roles that they are going to get or not get or whatever moving, you know, in the next, well, which I'm sure will be covered, which is why I'm dancing around it here a little bit, but, yeah. um, but still it just feels a bit, it feels, it feels a bit odd to me that this is the center point of the season. Mm-hmm. So I am, I'm, I'm curious how they're going to get three full episodes. Um, but I think the performances are terrific here. Um, especially I really enjoyed, um, well, Sarandon as Betty Davis, I thought was really terrific in this, this one. Um, right. But uh, I like how much time we get with Olivia de Havilland and actually seeing yes. her come into the narrative. Catherine de Jones yes. I thought was good. Uh, and, and, get us getting a sense of why we've been spending time with her in interviews because she was yeah. there oscar night and she's good buddies with betty davis like that was nice to to have that context added yeah that was really significant i thought uh just dramatically and structurally like you were saying with her interviews i thought that was really good but it also allowed us to see davis with someone she actually likes yeah um which is also really significant i think and because we got to see how Davis 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 responds to all of this much more differently than Crawford does within the show. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't speak too much about like actually, but yeah. at least within the show, like her response to all of this is and like the stress of it to a certain degree, but also just the fact that she how she handles knowing that she's this is basically it mm-hmm. and how she's talking to de Havilland about it, I think is really great, but also how they very quickly like mirror de Havilland's own issues with her sister um, with Crawford and Davis, I think is also really good, but they don't dwell on it, which is also really helpful because it's not about the de Havilland's. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this was, it was fun. And there was, you know, there was the, and apparently, you know, very not surprisingly but very accurate historically accurate to the day and like the pictures we have and everything like the costuming the hair and makeup all that stuff but also just like the details of you know hanging out in frank sinatra's uh dressing room and can can we talk really briefly about the brilliance of toby huss's frank sinatra (laughs) (laughs) because i loved that last week i thought that was just fantastic we didn't discuss feud last week but Mm -hmm. I it was just so good and I I love that Boz just <laughs> yeah sorry continue no no that was fun um and yeah and, and again the performances are what's centering this and what's keeping yep. it so energized so I look forward to seeing what they do next yeah same I really agree with the performances keeping things going but I also like that this was a week in which Aldrich and Warner really weren't present as mm-hmm. much. And I thought that that really focused things. So I really yeah. liked that. Very appropriate. What about Underground and Whiteface? Did you buy that 
that production that we start with could have happened at, like, like not like could have happened really, but could happen more than once without Kato getting run out of town. I feel like that had to be the premiere performance mm-hmm. <laughs> because otherwise, like you said, there's no way yeah. that, that performance happens twice. Well, like even I in Philadelphia, the safety of the actors. Right. Yeah. And again, even in Philadelphia, I'm saying yeah. <laughs> that this is something that you can only get away with once. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it very much feels like a one-off joke that they're going to like Cato's going to do to sort of announce himself covertly. Uh, but I really liked uh, a lot of the Cato stuff until it kind of fell apart at the end for me a little bit as well with mm-hmm. um, uh, Maloney's character, whose name I cannot remember, mm-hmm. and Patty Cannon showing up. Uh, but the, his whole thing at his house about using capitalism against them, um, against against the whites, um, is really compelling and really interesting and really radical at least in terms of the discussion about different ways of combating slavery, I think is really interesting and fits within the other stuff that we're getting with like the John Brown stuff happening just on the fringes of the episode, but also like what happens to Elizabeth in this episode where she's very much like, yes, I will take that SS, just get it done with already because that's how committed I am type of thing. And I I liked how all of this was sort of intersecting. And then it seems like Patty Cannon and Chris Maloney just took over Cato's mansion. I guess. I guess. How many guys do they have? Apparently a shit ton. And, but I also immediately go to, well, I feel like even Philadelphia would be like, uh, excuse us. Yeah. (laughs) He owns this house. Yeah. (laughs) Type of thing. Um, so that's kind of where I, I, that's the implication is like, Patty Cannon's very happy to have this big house all of a sudden. And I immediately went, but I'm just assuming that they're keeping Cato there and they're just going to squat there until they get Ernestine back so that they can then go and go get yeah. um, Rosalie. Yeah, but, but how many guys are they keeping on Cato? Because Cato right. can mess a guy up. Right. And the other thing is just like Frederick Douglass swings by. <laughs> yeah. And so I feel like people are going to notice maybe. Yeah. If well, Cato doesn't leave his house. And now that they theoretically have his fiance, ex-fiance. Demi. Know, then, then they can control him, you know. Right. Yeah. But still, the point remains. Uh, do you want to talk about that really quick? John Legend as Frederick Douglass. John Legend is not a particularly good actor. No, <laughs> it was a small. I was grateful for how small the role was. Yes. I was worried it would be bigger, but yes. that was an interesting choice from a show that has done really well with all of its casting. He's a producer on this show, though, right? Yes. Yeah, so... And if, he, yeah. if John Legend wants to play Frederick Douglass... Frederick Douglass, he's then gonna get... He's gonna play Frederick Douglass, and given, you know, what he's done, even just on the, for the music on this show, yeah. fair enough. Yes. I'll give it to you. Not a great actor. No, um, no not your thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, but like you said, it allowed for, like, some discussion... Uh, so, small part, but allowed for discussions again about how best to handle this and to the degree to which people are involved and the, how we need to be involved sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And even I like the mention of, well, you should really meet Harriet. And I'd like to see the two of you discuss things in a room together. (laughs) And I just went, I would like to see that too. I would also like, I would also like to them to see them beat up a bunch of white folks together as well. (laughs) Uh, So 
I, I, I liked all the Cato stuff uh, that happened this week, um, even if, again, it kind of just I'm not exactly sure where that's going um, mm-hmm. in a comfortable way. And how many episodes are they doing this season? Are they do, did they get 13 for this season? I want to say it's 10 again, but yeah. I could be wrong. Yeah, because we're on episode six. Yeah. And I, I feel, feel like I feel like it's lost some of the momentum. Right. right. But it's also like restarting in a lot of ways as well. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, we've got Rosalie and Noah reunited and heading back down to Macon, which we all know is not where Ernestine is. Nope. <laughs> which means like there's going to be like a confluence of people meeting at that island, provided Ernestine doesn't get off the island first. Yes. <laughs> ah. Yes. So, yeah, we'll see. And because if she goes down to Macon, they'll she'll find her brother. Her, right. you know, the one one of her brothers. She doesn't know that Sam's dead. Right. Correct. She does not. Uh, no, she, no, they don't. They were long gone. So, yeah, she's going to have a hell of a day when she shows up there. Yeah. yeah assuming that happens. So we'll see. We'll see. Um, any other thoughts? What did you think of this stuff with Steen? Uh, I thought it was fine mm-hmm. um is mostly what it is it's icky mm-hmm. and it's her repeating like herself a little bit and i i don't know the degree to which she's okay with it at this point um mm-hmm. and i think that's the question but i'll turn it back around on you because i just talked for a little while <laughs> um so how are you feeling about steen stuff then i liked what we got here and yeah. i like the sense of direction that we see her now taking because i think we spent enough time with her directionless um and the fact that that she's not just off of the drugs you know because now she's focused and so now she's going to be clean head i like that it's not as simple as that so we'll see what comes next but i I thought this you know i thought it was very interesting to see her after what we got the two episodes ago um Mm -hmm. with her reflections and her guilt over becoming involved you know with the boss uh, at the, the the master at um uh, the making plantation to see that what we get here was surprising. But then that line at the end is like, good. Cause you're going to like, cause it's very self-serving. Then I was like, okay, well that right. makes way more sense. And, yeah. and uh, I thought that, you know, it was nice to see that purpose in her again. Yeah. Yeah. I like the purpose aspect of it. Um, but given everything that she just did and then using this woman to achieve her own ends, like, and this woman who is going along with it and maybe not totally aware of what she's getting involved with, mm-hmm. because I hate saying this, but I don't put it past her to just, I put it past um, Ernestine to just leave her there at some oh, point yeah. and, and abandon her as she's making an escape of some sort or not arranging for her to leave uh, with her. Yeah. So. Yeah, we'll yeah. see. But morally complicated characters are fun. They are indeed. Well, speaking of American Crime, season three, episode oh, four. God. All right. Why don't you start first? Um, <laughs> since like off air, you mentioned um, having um, a particular opinion about uh, Richard Cabral's character uh, getting shot multiple times. Um, oh, yeah. To no. wrap up. Things. Yeah. So my 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 note was that I'm going to need some of these storylines to start intersecting. Yeah, more directly and to have having um, direct consequences so it doesn't just feel like misery porn um, because we get it. 
if we're seeing what we're seeing with Luis doesn't and, and, and Isaac and Isaac doesn't then tie back into what we've been seeing with Jeanette and um, like the rest of the people at the farm, then I'm going to be frustrated. And if what we see with Koi here ending up in the hospital and theoretically in the orbit of Regina King's character of Kamara doesn't start like tying things together a little bit more. I mean, then why are we adding Lily Taylor and, and, and Timothy Hutton? Like, why are we adding a whole other thing? If it's just, if it's, is it just going to be a series of people who show up and get exploited and treated horribly? Cause that's like, I don't have a problem watching that. If I feel like there's a reason for me watching that other than, Hey, look at this to- horrible stuff that happens. Like, yeah, it's horrible and it happens and we know this. So let's make a larger point with it. Yeah. And I don't disagree. I think that this needs to be the catalyst to, at the very least, put the farm storylines together. Yeah. Um, Because they'd been kind of circulating around one another, but not in really clear ways, which was an issue. And we get some of that with like uh, Jeanette and JD sort of like trying to figure things out with um, Cherry Jones's character. Mm-hmm. Um, to the point to Cherry Jones going, sweetie, you do not belong here. Oh man, Lorianne was such a bitch, such a bitch, and so and in that perfectly genteel Southern way that I am very familiar with, <laughs> um, that it needs to start pulling together. And I think Jeanette, as woke as she's becoming, <laughs> yeah, is not going to let a farm worker getting shot multiple times stand. Basically, yeah. And I think that that'll hopefully be the catalyst to bring all this together. Uh, But I do think that the storylines are still going to remain segregated between like King's what's happening with Kamara, Mm -hmm. even after they, even if you draw in um, Koi and Kamara's reach is only so far that doing anything to the farm seems really unlikely. Yeah, no, I I would, I would be surprised. I'm not sure how, young he's that actor's that character is supposed to be because of course right. he played a high schooler last year so is he supposed to right. be of a similar age this year i don't know yeah i would guess if he's going to end up on kamara's docket yeah he'd have to at least be a certain age then that would tie him in him theoretically potentially with some of the stuff we're getting um with with shay you know and so so again it would just make it feel a little smaller the world a little bit smaller uh, which would be which would be nice because again like i said they're adding they're, it seems like they're closing off the least like benito martinez he's done right for the season i would I assume hope. i would assume if there's more for what he's going to do i'm not exactly sure what he's what that is um yeah and i don't necessarily need to see him telling his wife that no. he lied to her on the phone yeah <laughs> no that was i mean it was and he's been terrific this season right. i don't think we need more from that character though i think that chapter's yeah. ending and that's why they introduced the coats um in this, in this furniture factory but like yeah i just i'm leery about them adding more it's like give me more sandra oh before you <laughs> like, develop more of these characters that we've already met before you add new ones as much as i'm very excited to see lily taylor um, right. So yeah, I'm a little uh, on the fence about that, but like everything we get in this episode, I think is terrific. Um, especially the stuff with Shay. I think we're both on the same page regarding this season so far as uh, like, it's doing interesting, good things. It's just dramatically, it's not necessarily clicking mm-hmm. narratively. And I think that that's, that's kind of why, like I put off like 
sort of ended up putting watching like episodes three and four together because mm-hmm. I was just like, I like what you're doing. I love this whole idea about consumption as like a big crime right now that's punishing everyone it touches. Mm-hmm. And but dramatically it wasn't clicking. And I'm hoping like we're now going to start clicking. Yeah. But everything as like individual stuff from performance level to what we're getting with Shay. And I'd love to hear more thoughts about that um, from you were all just really, really good. And just Shay's whole struggle to get an abortion Mm -hmm. was delightful in its horribleness and realness. Yeah. Well, and talking about the difference of laws versus you know, DC versus where she's at now. And, um, you know, that's the show being very political and talking about the realities for somebody like Shay. I loved the little speech they give her about I'm a 17 year old prostitute. And I did that because I didn't want to be at home. Like it was better to do that for me than to be at home. And you want me to call my right. parents. Uh, yeah. I thought that was a terrific scene um, and really, really well written, played and directed. I also speaking of direction, the, the pull away with the camera on Felicity Huffman after Cherry Jones, uh, after Leslie Ann tells her Lori that Lori Ann, yeah, that Carson, her husband had canceled Jeanette's check. Like, and so like, as we were on tight on Felicity Huffman, the camera pulls back as you watch her realize that and react to that. And, and, and Dallas Roberts is, you know, <laughs> being shitty in the best way, you know, as yeah. we pull back and we can see him more and she's more isolated as we pull. normally you think you zoom in when your character's getting more isolated. I like that they distance us with yeah. her as she's distanced from them. Um, so there was some really nice direction and they're always, is an American yeah. crime, but yeah. but but yeah, no. The stuff with with Shay and, and Kamara, like watching, I don't see this because I can trust the show to not be like Shay's going to keep the baby. She's going to give the baby to Kamara. You know, like, I like that they're not. Doesn't seem like they're doing that. And, and so then watching Kamara have to deal with an ultrasound for this for this you know girl, this woman, young woman who's getting an abortion because she should not be pregnant at seventeen, um, while she's so desperate to get pregnant, like. And and the dual pain of that, yes, we would expect the pain of making a 17-year-old prostitute listen to the heartbeat of her, you know, was it 17 month? Or no, not month, a week fetus? 14 to 17. 14 yeah. to 17, yeah. Um, like, that's horrible. Um, and and listening to the, uh, the person who's working the ultrasound try to convince her to keep the baby um again which also, she's legally required to do she's not legally required to is try to convince her she's she might be legally required to ask her to if she wants the, the to hear the heartbeat but she's yeah. doesn't have to do it in a cooing oh look it's cute little fetus voice yeah. the way that she does um yeah so that was that already was going to be we kind of expected that level of it adding the stuff with this other stuff with kamara i think has made that storyline a lot richer yeah, no, I absolutely agree because, like, I focused in on Kamara and the heartbeat mm-hmm. much more than I was focusing on Shay, since Shay's just not wanting to engage, and all yeah. Kamara wants to do is engage. So, yeah, yeah. Any yeah. other thoughts on this episode and how the season's shaping up? No, I think we've I think we've nicely covered it. Mm-hmm. I'm concerned that I'm. I think I'll probably watch this episode like a meet this next episode like pretty quickly, but. I feel like this is sort of dramatically speaking a make or break sort of episode for them yeah. structurally um, for this agree. season. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Mm-hmm. Well, 
speaking of make and break episodes, we have the good fight, Reddick v. Bozeman, um, our last episode for the week in TV. And you had mentioned last week, when were we going to meet <laughs> Reddick? Reddick. Yeah. Uh, and then here he comes in this week. And right. <laughs> so, yeah, I thought this, this is the boost of energy we needed for these last three episodes of the season, I think. How'd you feel about it? I didn't really like this episode that much. Ooh. I'm really fascinated. I'd okay. like to know why you think this is a boost of energy because I thought this was just um, poorly done, reheated good wife stuff. It is. It is reheated good wife stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. But the bringing it back to the central question of the the mission of the fight. Right. Now they were ha- they were ham handed with that. They said <laughs> they we're, were really. They said the title like the, eight times. In yes. This episode. Which, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. But that central question of why are we doing this? You know, what is the soul of the firm is much more meaningful to me on in this law firm than Lacquer Gardner ever was. Right. And I think that's the key differentiation. For me, it's not explored enough in this Mm -hmm. episode. And because I was thirsting for like a debate uh, that they had like in social media and it's discontents where they're just like they have like a literal round table discussion Mm -hmm. about what it means. And the discussion about the heart of, well, the soul, the mission of the firm didn't get as much play as I would have wanted it to get. And it was done in like very too broad, basically, ways for me. And the other problem I think is like Riddick shows up a little late for this discussion Mm -hmm. for me, because we've seen how Adrian is particularly Barbara's presence is still, and Barbara's politics are still really, they don't exist. And so, but Adrian's is a very pragmatic approach to we're going to keep doing these things, but these fights that you were fighting and that you founded the firm to fight Carl are much more expensive now. And also there are significantly more of them. And I think that that's the key thing is the generational gap, I think is the key differentiation in that Carl is aware that these fights are the same. Mm -hmm. He just doesn't know that logistically and tactically they're very different now. Mm -hmm. Interesting. See, because I I felt like, I felt like he won that Mm -hmm. argument with his no these are exactly the same fights they're being fought in a different way but they're the same principles they've always been and the the again when i think what this episode does correctly is they make them both right so bozeman's absolutely right this to 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 keep things an even playing field you need money you need insane amounts of money because you have the like almost bottomless pockets of donors fighting on the other side of this, which is what we get with the Fisher Stevens. Obviously that's not bottomless <laughs> pockets because he's not a great lawyer, but, um, but still that, that idea of just vague alt-right money coming in, you know, um, yeah. was, you know, it was an important thing to, to give some weight to what Adrian was saying. But I absolutely think that the, that, that line of no, they're the exact same fights. And the fact that you don't understand that, you know, which is, they don't, underline it with this but the fact that that Bozeman doesn't seem to understand that or appreciate that is going to cause him to make the same mistakes that some of those that caused you know losses in those fights the first time around the second time around that kind of a thing um so yeah that's interesting that we're on a sort of different place with this right and I think a lot of my reception also hinged on the fact that Reddick is conceptually way too similar to Jonas Stern for my taste okay in that 
just like how they present the characters like um reddick's a civil rights icon hero type of character and the law firm's reputation is built on the police brutality cases stern's background information that we get like through like a television thing on good wife is he was a civil rights attorney in the 1970s who specialized in police brutality cases (laughs) and i immediately went guys you're just you're you're copying yourself and yeah, they, it, they've shown they like to do that. This is not a right. surprise. This is not a surprise, but I really needed the shadowy, um, shadowy, the unseen top name partner kind of not be the same a little bit. But <laughs> even like the wrap up of this episode of this case is them drinking Scott, drinking wine and toasting one another. And we get them shot from behind like they're Will and Diane. Mm-hmm. That was very Which, intentional. Yeah, it, it's very intentional. I doesn't mean that, that it's, it's a good thing. <laughs> it doesn't mean that it's a good thing, in part because, again, this goes back to Barbara being kind of ill-defined against everyone else, basically. Like, the only person who's less defined is Jay, the investigator, and he's mm-hmm. not a series regular. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Th- this is something we've talked about all yeah. all season with The Good Fight, is it's some of its strengths and some yeah. of its weaknesses are it is very similar in many ways to the good wife and yeah. not learning from their mistakes, like completely wasting Michael Boatman, for example, <laughs> is it's frustrating to experience that again. And, yeah. you know, they still have not done anywhere near enough to differentiate um, uh, Co- Colin from, from uh, Carrie and some of these other characters, like they need to do more and they're wasting, they're wasting Erica Tazel again, like just, just as she was wasted unjustified, most of justified and just yeah. like they've wasted so many different characters, um, particular character, particularly characters of color on um, the good wife. Um, so yeah, it's frustrating. I do like the casting of Louis Goss Jr. I think he's really, really strong here. So good. And I feel yeah. like if given the history, yes, it's very similar to what they did with Juno Stern, but I don't think there's any, they could have done it a different way. That's fair. Given yeah. what the firm is. I, I That's a really fair point to make. Um, but and the, just because of the overlaps with Stern, I just kind of raised an eyebrow. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like you said, it's given the firm, it's nothing that they could have really avoided in any way that made sense. So that's a that's a nice way to deflate my point, Kate. Thank you. Well, and the difference will be is if they try to give him if if they go on a similar trajectory to what they did with Stern, right? And, and I, I, I think the other thing that I kind of balked at was the fact that instead of like having a reasoned discussion, he was just like, "I'm just going to oust you, Adrian," and it's just like, "Oh, but we do this every uh, five episodes yeah. of Good Wife. I don't yeah. need this again." You can't make that arc, that pl- plot line, or that arc after you've lampshaded. The fact that you've done that like four times, like after the second lampshade, you don't get to do that again. Right. Um, But that's his immediate move is to like, I'm just going to I'm just going to oust you. And it's just like you haven't been around enough for this Mm -hmm. to really land for me. And I know it's not going to (laughs) work. Yeah, because you've got Delroy Lindo. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Delroy Lindo's not going anywhere. Yeah, Uh, that's for definitely. uh, Yeah, that's that's yeah, that's definitely happening. Uh, What about the stuff that we got with Luca and Colin? Did that work for you? Um, well, first, let me say I love Adrian Martin. Um, Mm -hmm. Andrea Martin. Andrea Martin. Um, Yeah. Andrea Martin. She's fabulous. Um, but uh, kind of, but not really like Mm -hmm. 
I, I love Kush Jumbo and she can basically do no wrong as far as I'm concerned at this point. So all her reaction stuff to this meeting, meeting, uh, meeting his mom is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And then actually being there, the whole like arc of that party is just really terrible. And it's supposed to be terrible. Like yeah. these are, these are terrible, rich white liberals. <laughs> these are the get out liberals. <laughs> yeah. And who, and including a woman of vague ethnicity who asks, do you know Jay-Z? Yeah. And, it, and in a way that isn't clear if she's asking if she knows Jay-Z personally, or if she knows just Jay-Z's work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> The either way, either racist. way, <laughs> either way is racist, and yeah. so yeah, and I, I, I don't. It's a, it's a necessarily complication, but for that, like, character for both of these characters, um, in terms of, well, they're grooming him to be senator, and you're not really senator arm candy, are you? And that kind of thing, but it's also just well, like I thought they were saying that she was Senator Arm Candy. Oh she, no, she is. No, you're you're right. In, but she's but saying she, she doesn't. Want... She doesn't want to be that. No, okay. you're right. I'm. Yeah, it, it's late for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and th- that's a necessarily complication, but it's also one of those kind of frustrating complications in which if you two would just talk to one another instead yeah. of having sex, we could get past this really really quickly because mm-hmm. clearly Luke is engaged in this relationship. Yeah. So yeah, that's kind of yeah. where I felt on fell on that. Yeah, and it's it seems like the kind of thing they want to establish a will they won't they a longer term um thing and so that this is right, this feels like a very two. Yeah. Yeah, um very short term impediment i guess until yeah. they're gonna talk it out you know maybe for the finale or something um but yes, i did the finale maybe <laughs> yeah the the but i did absolutely buy the arc of it and like just again because of because of the performances i thought they were yeah. all really good and um i also enjoyed the stuff with uh the fish stevens character and i was very glad that Jeremiah apparently didn't do it. Father Jeremiah. It's just because I was so, I was like, Oh God, this is what it's going to be. Come on guys. And then I feel like the episode did not make a big enough point or or at least the the characters didn't seem to learn the lesson of, you know, Reddick was right. And Bozeman was wrong. Reddick said, stick by Jeremiah. Bozeman said, cut him loose. I don't believe he didn't do it. And he didn't do it. And, and I'm hoping that's something that will come back as they, we continue to watch the, the firm sort of wrestle with its identity. Yeah, and I was actually just generally kind of cool on the case of the week, um, mm-hmm. in part because a lot of it just involved going back and forth between offices, which yeah. is what the law is. Mm-hmm. But in a lot of cases, not everything gets to go to court or should go to court. But this was just very... It, it's It's basically carried on the fact that Fisher Stevens is fantastic at playing these kinds of characters um because he's made his career playing these kinds of characters on television and that's what like kept keeps it going plus diane's just constant bemusement and befuddlement and just at stevens's character just being awful (laughs) um and the assumptions of that he makes about like where everyone goes to school and that Mm -hmm. kind of thing is just plus also him acknowledging that he's going to blackmail people while he's being recorded (laughs) (laughs) um but that leaves the one thing we haven't discussed which was henry's botched suicide attempt yeah that um that doesn't that feels really weird in that it ends in a big joke um and 
yeah, I just didn't know what to do with any of that and didn't really like any of it. Um, but this also just speaks to where all the Rindell stuff is, basically, is that it doesn't have anything to do, really. The and, the, the delivery yeah. of his owl is really funny. Was really good. <laughs> that was really right. funny. I mean, that's a solid that's a solid delivery from Paul Gellifoyle, uh, but Yeah. Yeah. The rest of it just feels like it's there so that she's committed a crime tampering with evidence and a crime scene and everything. Yeah. So that way she can be in jeopardy, legal jeopardy down the line. Um which is frustrating. And so that when you know, if slash when they reveal that, no, they really, the parents really are evil. They'll have something on her to try to blackmail her into helping that. Like, you know, like, yeah, it's a lot. I, if I was more invested in their relationships and in the Rendells in general, I would care more. But I like, you had to remind me that this was even in the episode. I had forgotten right. it was there. I know. That's why I reminded you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, it's just, it's dull and uh, uh, I wish it was improving basically. And, mm -hmm. but they only have two episodes left and which is crazy to think about. I was thinking about that earlier today that they have two episodes left. Yeah. But that's and good just, because we need to make space. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, this needs to be resolved so that hope, hopefully it gets resolved. Praise, please, please resolve this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but we'll find out next week or like in two weeks as well. So we will we'll see. Well, what was your weekend drama? Oh, uh, oh, uh, do I go with the thing that made me really sad and miserable, or <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. I feel like American Crime wins it for me, right? Um, even though it was really depressing. Yeah. And Carl, don't start watching American Crime. <laughs> yeah, no, don't do that, Carl. Um, don't even like start with season one, Carl. You don't have to either with this show. You can just jump in to any season, and it's fine. But uh, still but don't. Still don't. Uh, I'll give it to Feud, um, okay. just because it's it's oddly slightly fluffier <laughs> <laughs> than American Crime is. Uh, so that that's my pick is uh, Feud. Uh, but you're giving it to American Crime, which is yeah. a choice. That I would do, but I can't because I don't feel like being depressed. <laughs> Fair enough. I absolutely understand. I, I feel you on that. Well, a few show notes here at the end of our Weekend TV. You can find a post for this episode up at theteleverse.org, the website for the podcast. You can leave a comment there. Be like, you know, be like our listeners who've been leaving comments the last couple of weeks. We really appreciate it. Let us know what you're thinking about uh, with the week's TV. You can also email us at gmail.com. Be like Carl and email us. Or you can um, like the page on Facebook. Facebook, start up a conversation there. You can find us on iTunes with an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. And we would appreciate any ratings or reviews you want to leave there. It helps other people find the show. Um, you can also uh, rate and review us on Stitcher where the M4A version is available. And of course, we're both up on Twitter. I am at the Televerse and Noel, you are? At Noel RK. And you can find me writing about uh, The Flash and The Good Fight over at tvguide.com. That's correct. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm well, so now, hungry. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's time for us to take a break, get some food, and, yeah. and refuel because it's time. Because we gotta, we gotta have some fun with uh, Professor Assistant Professor Charlotte Howell uh, from Boston University talking about murder. She wrote. We'll be right back after this, ladies. This is a private rehearsal. No outsiders. Uh, Mr. Cellini, you did ask us to meet you here. Why would I do a thing like that? I don't even know you. With the refreshment committee from the PTA. Oh yes, yes, uh, the Cookie Ladies, George. George, will you sharpen up that last cue? Please, see me after the rehearsal. Mr. Cellini, I just love this show. It's so 
mystified. Gave me the goosebumps. Oh, yes, and I'm sure no one will ever guess the uncle is the killer. Uh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hold it, lady! Hold it! Hold it! Uh, whatever made you think the uncle is the killer? Well, isn't he? How delightful. I was totally fooled. Yeah, as a matter of fact, he is the killer. <laughs> Miss, uh... uh... Mrs. Fletcher. Oh, and this is this is Mrs. Hodge of Punch, and this is Mrs. Thompson. She's brownies and, uh, macaroons? Macaroons. Charmed, yeah. charmed. <laughs> Look, uh, somebody slipped you a copy of the script, right? Oh, no. No, but when the uncle showed up after the party wearing a different tie, obviously he changed it for a reason. And then there was the phone call from the coroner. I mean, he couldn't have known about that. Not unless he'd overheard the conversation between the doctor and the priest. Oh, silly of me. Here I am explaining your play to you. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> Come on, girls. We'll catch the second act tomorrow with everyone else. <laughs> Jessica, could you tell us This is Kate Kolsick, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick, and this week we had to bring the DVD shelf back, Noel, because I, I needed to cleanse the palate for Murder, She Baked, so <laughs> I was like, okay, clearly I haven't seen it in decades, the answer is Murder, She Wrote, and Noel, you said, if we're going to talk Murder, She Wrote, we have to get Charlotte Howell on the podcast, and listeners, uh, Charlotte is a assistant professor of media studies and television studies at Boston University, and... I've been told, Charlotte, you have very strong feelings about TV shows that end with freeze frames. Is this a thing? I just, I really like them. I feel like a lot of my tastes were formed by whatever was in reruns on USA and TNT in the early 90s. (laughs) And so, you know, like, give me a good freeze frame on Murder, She Wrote, on Quantum Leap, hell, even on Chips. I'll take it. Yeah, the Quantum Leap, for me, slightly different category than the other two. As much as I love Murder, She Wrote, I have a very big place in my heart for Quantum Leap. Does this mean now that, based on my affinity for these other two shows, that I need to watch Chips? Because I've never seen Chips, I've never felt compelled, but if you're telling me, I should seek it out. No, I am not. I I just appreciate that moment of that television aesthetic. Yeah. If, if for no other reason, then now we get all of the delightful shows that and movies that then parody that or pay homage to, which is always one of my favorite meta endings. Um, but I'm getting distracted. Or or they do it unironically, like NCIS. That there's that too, which can be fun. <laughs> Charlotte, yeah. it's it's a like visual cue of this is a show that's going to give you a conclusion at the end of the hour, the half hour. And you're going to feel good about it. Well, and also at the beginning of the episode, um, because every time I watch a show from the 80s and and especially early 90s, I always forget that the hour longs do this this week on Murder, She Wrote, and then tell you the entire plot of the the hour. 
<laughs> Unless you're watching Dallas, then they just show you the reaction shots that you're going to see throughout the episode. This is crucial. But I feel like, doesn't that tell you the whole story for Dallas, though? Isn't that like the, the key stuff is the reaction shot? Okay, that's for Dallas conversation. <laughs> Charlotte, uh, why did you want to come on and talk Murder, She Wrote with us? What What is it that draws you to this property? So I, I of course, caught the occasional Murder, She Wrote rerun as all of us kids who kind of grew up in the 80s and 90s did on reruns. But I just through not actual planning, but just happenstance, started watching Murder, She Wrote in the last year of working on my dissertation um, so that I could be that assistant professor of TV studies. And I ended up watching all 12 seasons in a year, almost to the day. That's an insane number of episodes. Like, that's ridiculous. I mean, I skipped over some of the ones that didn't feature Jessica. Let's be real. But, but yeah, still. That's a good call. The point <laughs> remains. How many? That's like, let me see. How many episodes? I'm trying to look it up here. I can't even. Like, it's 264 episodes plus four TV movies. Even if you count those couple of seasons, take out those couple of seasons where she's not really around. That's still an insane amount. That, that's a feat is what I'm saying. 12 <laughs> seasons in 12 months is a lot. I was working on my dissertation or teaching, and when I wasn't doing that, I always had the TV on. I, I As someone who watched all of classic Doctor Who in like a, a year, I... I, I totally relate. Um, yeah, yeah, it is. It's there's something comforting with the the process and the the repetition of shows like that. These these long running shows that are not centered around some long running narrative or dramas uh, with like interpersonal characters and everything. They're just really there to entertain you for the hour. And especially right now, it's a very uh, tense, at least for me actual yes. real world so it's nice to escape to some murder she wrote yes i i have definitely i have about over 30 murder she wrote episodes on my dvr from hallmark movies and mysteries recorded in standard definition i've just been kind of like diving back into the ones that are very comforting and i'm just <laughs> like oh, jessica fletcher make me feel better about everything yeah <laughs> now uh charlotte obviously you've you have a strong connection to Murder, She Wrote. I uh, remember I have a very fond memory of like a Memorial Day weekend or something when myself and my sister and my mom were all like sick as a dog. And we just I think we watched Murder, She Wrote a mar like a marathon long enough that they started it over and we were too <laughs> sick and tired to get up and change the channel. <laughs> so we just started watching them again. <laughs> um, but but like it's a bad thing. This is something that. I do more often than I should probably admit. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, but um, other aside from that, I didn't really watch Murder She Wrote when it was on. Um, I certainly because it was on it was on Sundays and then it was on Thursdays, and so certainly on Thursdays I had to watch PBS Mysteries, obviously. Um, so I, I actually missed it for a lot of its run. It was really it was really interesting to go back and kind of recatch up with it and see how much of it was exactly how I remembered and how much of it was totally different. Uh, so it was a lot of fun revisiting some episodes. Noel, what was your relationship with Murder, She Wrote leading into the segment? Well, it was a lot like um, Charlotte's in that I caught an occasional rerun every now and then. And I think mostly I just knew it through like pop culture osmosis of Angela Lansbury being just the best at everything. 
And then the whole thing about the whole little lore about how Cabot Cove has just the most insane murder rate given its population and that kind of a thing. So it just kind of seeped in. But then last October, when I uh, developed shingles, I needed something on because I couldn't really focus on anything without like splitting pain. So I ended up watching, I want to say about six to seven seasons of Murder, She Wrote over the course of like October and November as like post work stuff and also just to fall asleep. So like the, the entirety of Jessica Fletcher solving mysteries, wherever she goes to deal with whatever niece or nephew, and she has so many <laughs> nieces and nephews uh, needed help that week. Uh, it was just very comforting, uh, which is a word I think we've, we've all can really quickly apply to this show and that's where it basically landed was I rekindled my appreciation for the show like a few months ago and then was very upset when Universal's um, license for it on Netflix expired and they pulled it. And now it's nowhere to be found online. <laughs> you can still get the DVDs is... from Netflix, yeah. right? But yeah. Yeah. No, this yeah. is why I'm recording and keeping all my favorite episodes on the DVR as long as I have it. And I've turned to watching Wings on Hulu, which is kind of at the same time, very different, obviously, approach. But there's something similarly comforting about it. Again, probably just because it was paired with that on, like, USA 7 to 10 a.m. reruns. Once you get through Wings, maybe I'll start on Major Dad and just go whole hog. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned USA because watching murder she wrote it really this is usa's blue sky characters welcome like oh yeah this is exactly what they were trying to replicate when they went in that direction with uh with monk and psych and all of those those different shows and it's it was interesting to to kind of explore that because this is a show that has a ridiculous cast a lot of the time including obviously Angela Lansbury, who's amazing. Um, but, but a lot of Broadway veterans like Jerry Orbach is recurring and Len Cario is, is recurring. Um, there's, there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of really good actors who show up for maybe one episode, maybe one scene like Andy Garcia in the, in the pilot, <laughs> baby Andy Garcia. Um, and the material isn't always, you know, there for them, but it's, they're just so fun to watch. You can tell that they're enjoying this little stint, you know, love boat style that it, it, I was surprised how well it works because academically I'm watching this going, this is not that good, but I, I really like Jessica. Uh, and I, it's always fun to watch the underestimated, you know, woman of a certain age, um, you know, kick butt. She's basically American Miss Marple. Um, and, so, so yes, that's that's fun, but and get hit on by all sorts of dudes in all sorts of situations. Well, of course, the guest stars are such a great instance. Uh, when I was talking to Noel about coming on, I was like, the ways in which the show like recuperates this kind of the the lost generation of just Hollywood workaday. Some yeah. stars, but also just some people who just kind of were working actors in the kind of end of the classical Hollywood heyday, like Buddy Hackett. Um, and it's doing it at this moment when kind of television is still not a place where people really want to be. <laughs> it's where they end up. Yeah. Uh, 
And as as it's kind of shifting in those late 80s and early 90s towards kind of more options, it's just this really interesting kind of, I mean, I'm of course approaching it as like a TV scholar and historian being like, what does it say about the past of Hollywood and the future of Hollywood that this is the point where it all intersects? Oh, frankly, I you know, when I look back at when the show launched and everything, I'm like, how'd they get Angela Lansbury? Because TV did not have good reputation. But I think what it is, it's something you touched on, Charlotte. These are actors who want to work and mm-hmm. they're not getting jobs other places. So they might as well go make a bunch of money compared to what they'd get doing some other similar time span of a gig and hang out with Angela Lansbury and just like be in a ridiculous, silly caper. Yeah. I think Angela Lansbury was really like, once they landed her, she got so many actors that she had worked with previously on stage or screen that like she became the it's okay to do television password. Right. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. And I, I think back to that kind of a thing where it's just a, a plethora of people who are about to become famous. Like you mentioned, Andy Garcia. Or people who you recognize from older films or um, even early television or earlier television, I should say, who are just coming on, like you've all said, for like a quick paycheck. And I think back to like one of my favorite episodes is uh, Murder Takes the Bus. And you've got, okay, so you've got Tom Bosley playing Tupper, who, I mean, that's just recurring. That's good. That's solid. But then you get Linda Blair, you get Michael Constantine. (laughs) You get Larry Linville, you get Rue McClanahan, and then you get a bunch of other like really recognizable character actors like Mills Watson or um, Terrace Knox. And it's just like it's it's just a plethora of goodies for you to just sink into and go, oh, yes. But it's also very much a sort of Angela Lansbury made it okay, but I also think about it in relation to watching everyone coming on to do like Law and Order in the future and just coming in for an episode and getting a day's pay or a week's pay or getting their SAG card if they're brand new and then going back to Broadway for a little while. Yeah. And then maybe coming on five seasons later, playing a completely different character. Completely different character, right. Pretending Which... like, you know, uh, Mr. Adams was not the... F- disgraced former sheriff's deputy in Cabot Cove and is now working in Hollywood and gets murdered, right? Not the same person at all. One right. has totally a not. shorter mustache. Very right. different. No, I, think, I think Ken Howard played like four different characters on the yeah. show was, and in, including that really bad spinoff episode that they did. <laughs> so bad. Huh. It's an interesting line to trace because, of course, this is something that you know we've talked about Columbo on the DVD shelf before. This, this is something they were doing over there as well, um, and that's you know obviously that, that started in the seventies. And so you can, you have shows you know like this that had been happening earlier. But yeah, it's interesting to trace the progression like of of stars' relationships with television to these different shows and the way that that. I think I hadn't thought of Law and Order, but I think that's an excellent comparison. And then, of course, now you would point to something like The Good Wife or um, Now The Good Fight. Again, both of those shows shooting in New York so they can get all the theater people. So you don't necessarily have, hey, come be on my show, fellow Broadway alum, you know, but right. you do have and Christine Baranski makes it OK to come on. <laughs> and uh, I've been watching a lot of Madam Secretary just oh, escape to a world where people care about what they do and the state department is still 
functioning working yeah <laughs> um and and that does a lot of the same same things and bb newarth of course is she makes it all right yeah yeah well it, it, it's just like this it's this interesting space of the like the the 80s to the 90s and the way like there are some ways in which this is so incredibly 80s and 90s but then there's also for me it really fits into a larger trend in a genre of of case of the week tv that i think will probably always have on some level like even if it's over on uh uh amazon i think with bosch like there's always, I think, going to be a space for this kind of a show. It's just a matter of how many there are on the air at a given time. And how valuable it's seen by the producers and what the syndication market's looking like. Yeah. Well, the light, the online streaming market. <laughs> or yeah. are we saying syndication for that now? I, you know, it's... <laughs> I, I think they they have the same people making the deal. Right, yeah. <laughs> so, Yeah. Well, do we have favorite mysteries or characters or what is it that makes this such a to, to overanalyze as we love to do here on the Tillers? What is it that makes Murder, She Wrote so beloved? Why did it stick around for 12 years when there are plenty of other detective shows like, you know, the spinoffs from this one that didn't catch on? I mean, I think Noel said it. It's Angela Lansbury can do no wrong. She is the best at everything. <laughs> Right. And I, I, I think a lot of it also just has to do with also just the television landscape at the time was still sorting itself out and in the in transitioning, I should say, in a lot of ways at this time. And so, I mean, there's a reason why, like, it died when it moved to Thursdays, because it had to start dealing with NBC comedies as opposed to being on Sunday where it was just dominating. It's just like, well... Thursdays must see TV. Yeah, okay, that's that that makes sense. But I mean, it's one of those things where it's existing in a state of flux. In what we've kind of talked about, even with the actors coming on to just to be on the show and the okayness of being on the show is shifting as well. And I think that because of where it basically straddles from what from eighty four to ninety six. I mean, that's an insane amount of time for it to be around two very different states of television. And you see that with a lot of, that's one of the reasons why I just really love procedural type television, because you really get a sense of the shifts that are happening within the TV landscape. Like X-Files is another really good example of something that spanned a decade. And you get a real sense of the shifts in styles and tones and production that were happening even just across the nineties there. And just the fact that this was spanning almost decade and a half and had to deal with shifts in cable and network and just all that kind of things and network competings with one another. I think it's just, it's really compelling and really, really interesting. I just finished teaching in my history of TV class, the end of the classic network era around the time that Murder, She Wrote starts. And I think, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. no, you hit it, you know. You hit it right on the head. There's a lot of that. But it's also that um, these episodic procedurals that for a 22-episode season um, with that kind of factory mode of production really kind of uh, – it's a well-oiled machine of TV production by this time. Um, and it still can operate as that for a couple of years even after the networks lose power. 
but that also creates so much narrative space for figuring out what works and what doesn't for a couple of episodes that really experiment a little bit more with the form and with content, yeah. some more than others. Um, and these very, and these kind of moments, I feel like breathe life into the series and in a way that, you know, for as much as the shortened seasons that we're starting to see, I mean, even on some procedurals, um, like you brought up Bosch and the turn to streaming, you know, we're never going to have an episode that takes a 1940s B film and rewrites the ending <laughs> using <laughs> clips and the actors from that movie or anything like that to kind of set up the the mystery of the week, uh, which is, I think, I wrote it down. I did some research <laughs> to make sure. <laughs> But it's the days dwindle down. That's third season. Like, it takes a lot of, uh, well, a lot of grit, I guess, to take that on three seasons in. Yeah. Well, and it's because they could do that because they had such a strong core with the character of Jessica and with the performance. Like, right from the pilot, you know who she is. There's a very strong sense of that character right away. And I think the confidence in that character both from the show and from in the performance is something that helps it feel less of a time I think that's part of why it continues to be to sustain so well is because Jessica doesn't really care about being trendy or fashionable or anything she's just gonna go do her thing and yes maybe now and again um there'll be potential romantic dalliances but like that's she just wants to be home in Maine Hopefully fewer people dying. And if, <laughs> if people would stop asking her to help with investigations or accusing her family members, probably she would just be happy writing and gardening. Um, like the, the fact that it very actively, at least the episodes I watch, doesn't try to embrace the various fads or changes in um, in television with certainly with the character. It gives it this strong core that, you know, that, that lets it speak more universally i think and lets them take other experiments you know in form and in approach it lets it survive you know angela Lansbury not even being there way longer than that than should work because there is such you know at the at the heart of the show it just like it's very similar for me to colombo there is still that always that terrific performance at the center of peter falk as colombo of angela lansbury here as as jessica that no matter what else is changing or other things they can do, there's always that core. And that's why, that's why it lasted 12 seasons. Well, I think there's also the fact that, and Charlotte alluded to this with the whole 1940s B movie thing that, and this experimentation is that it's also a show that's occasionally aware of television trends and everything. Like there's that terrific episode where it has Michael Constantine not playing the character from murder takes the bus, but it's a, basically a weird send-up of jessica meets cagney and Lacey, except they're stacy and chadwick yeah and it's just such a weird episode because you get all the case stuff is happening to to jessica but every time she goes to talk to stacy or chadwick at the police department they're on the phone dealing with their personal lives and it's just it's such a weird direct address to cagney and Lacey. And I mean, that episode was uh, in 88, like probably right after or right before Cagney Lacey was off the air. 
and it's just it's 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 delightfully self-aware sometimes but never in an overly overly winky way i think which is really interesting and it keeps it goes just to the surface of being that sometimes but never like going too big like i'm thinking of like psych and their various homage episodes it never goes that far because that would just break the show yeah every episode that focuses on the media or theater is one of my favorites like a later season when um i think it's jonathan reese darby's plays basically rupert murdoch who oh right 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 yeah uh and it, it they just they spend like five minutes in the first two acts just talking about how terrible he is for journalism newspapers the american kind of intelligence and all this stuff i was like turn that that stick the knife in and turn it (laughs) (laughs) yeah the balance between meta awareness like that between not taking yourself seriously and and making fun of you know like it it, they're very aware like they're very aware that this is what their show is you know and they don't stretch it so far that like you were saying no that it would break um but they also are certainly willing to to send up the entire industry and that i mean i i very much enjoyed what i I saw of the um when i found out there was the magnum pi and where she wrote crossover i was like how has no one ever told me this? This is amazing. FBI, the champagne of television, as Boris <laughs> Newcomb called it famously. <laughs> but it's just like, you're watching, it's just so completely ridiculous. But it's like, okay, yes, this is ridiculous. And But if Jessica Fletcher were put into this situation, that's how it would go. And so, yes, we can have fun with how ridiculous it is, but they're going to take the character series, like... This, maybe the episode, there's plenty of other things that are meta or self-referential you know, re- or these different things within the episode, but they always take the character of Jessica seriously. They never um, question or make fun of her. Um, yeah. And I think that's the distinction. I love how comically petulant Tom Selleck is in that first half of that Magnum crossover. He's so upset and angry the entire time, and it's great, and it just it makes me upset that he's just continually wasted on blue bloods. <laughs> <laughs> well, we will have to save that conversation for a future Magnum PI show. Like oh, that show should be so much better than it is. And I know that that's blasphemy to some, but like they have the pieces of a great show and I don't think it is. It's just anyways another conversation instead i want to ask you guys if you have any i mean we've already mentioned several but do we have any favorite guest turns or or favorite episodes for me it's always like the episode with and then the guest star who probably did it Uh, so do you guys have favorites that you wanted to mention so i really ever since i saw it i've been wanting to talk with someone and y'all are that those someone i guess yes um about the psycho episode Incident on Lot 7 from the 8th season, where Jessica is on the Universal lot, and there are these murders that take place in the Psycho house. And they do basically uh, shot-for-shot quoting of Psycho, and like cutting between the detective getting murdered in the Psycho house, and Jessica watching the scene in Psycho of the detective getting murdered. And I just... 
thoughts on that. How amazing. <laughs> what a weird, awesome thing to do. Like yeah. that's probably the limits of, of what you were talking about, Noel, with the like coming close to being a little like psych, but it yeah. was still all very much in the, no, it's just a crazed fan who has decided to like set up shop in the psycho house on the universal lot. Which is so weird. No, that episode's really weird because they give, I can't remember the actor's name who plays the, the producer who's always playing that type. Um, but they spend so much time on that character and just lampooning Hollywood through that whole thing. Plus the writers just terrible, but it is just this bizarre winking type of thing. But you also get the sense that Angela is not a fan of psycho her face when she's watching psycho is aggressively. This is very distasteful. Yeah. And which is really fascinating to watch since I mean, psycho by I'm pretty sure by then had been like, accepted and like fully formed as canon by that point. I always thought it was because she knew how much of a misogynist Hitchcock was. Right. And that's a possibility too. But even then, like the episode as she's coming onto the lot has a Hitchcock stand in walk across the lot while Alfred Hitchcock presents theme plays, (laughs) (laughs) which is just so weird. The entire episode is so weird. Uh, But then it's written by, you know, J. Michael Straczynski. Right, uh, right, five, right. Babe, yeah. And the weirdness. Yeah, is is a really good, is basically, you basically answered your own question right there. <laughs> yeah, um, when I think of writers for Murder, She Wrote, I, I don't go to J. Michael Straczynski. I know, but he wrote like seven episodes. I love it when writers who went on to write something totally different or producers like show up in a as like producing a show in the 90s was like really this is where you got your start okay yeah that explains so much yeah (laughs) yeah um yeah i don't have an answer to that as to why but it is aggressive in how direct and how much it's quoting and how much it overemphasizes like the evilness that surrounds the house because there's a whole small speech about it, which is just weird because then you go, well, why don't you guys just knock down the house then? <laughs> I wonder you can't, if, but... okay, so that's the eighth season. So it was 92. I wonder if like they were trying to boost <laughs> universal tours. <laughs> oh, that's, that's probably exactly what was happening. You're probably exactly right. They got a note. And that's why they gave it to JMS to do. <laughs> They're like, we have to do this. Make it interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, it certainly makes you um, wonder if there's more inspiration for that among some of the writers and producers or, you know, Angela Lansbury that we don't know about. <laughs> yeah. You it's know, a possibility. But as um, listeners, if you've heard stories, we want to know those stories. So please, <laughs> the televerse at gmail.com. Uh, do we have any other episodes we want to mention? I want to, I've recommended this one to you, Kate. Um, and I don't know if you got around to it, but this is from season 10. And it's a virtual murder. Oh, yes. It's so bad. <laughs> it's got Kevin Sorbo um, before pre Hercules. Uh, which is delightful because his hair's short. He's got glasses, and it's just it's it's so bad because we get extended sequences of Jessica doing virtual reality. They've adapted one of her books as a virtual reality game, and she's there to like 
provide insight and help debug the game's narrative, but then someone dies and then they have to navigate for clues in the computer world. And it's so 90s of, we don't understand how virtual reality works, but we're going to do an episode about it anyway. And we're going to preface it with Angela Lansbury discussing virtual reality to the guy who plays the doctor in Cabot Cove so the audience understands what virtual reality is for five (laughs) minutes before she's even there. But there is something in the water of broadcast television in 1994 because there's also the episode of Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman, where they also have to, like, deal with virtual reality and solve a mystery inside that space. Uh, Right. No, it's all over the 90s because X-Files has one and just, oh, man. Let us not Uh, forget I, Robot, Eugene. Um, on Buffy, which I know right. is early internet, and so that's slightly different. But no, the the fear of technology um, on procedural certainly like let, we can't we don't even need to get started about Law and Order and like the evils of the internet and of technology like being predatory and, and horrible towards people. Um, there's because it's so, it's so rampant. I feel like if if this show had gone had been like shifted even a few years later, we would have gotten plenty of that. Well, Except- Angela. Angela resists getting a word processor for like eight years. (laughs) But then when she does, it's, you know, she integrates it into her life. There's a lot of, you know, the characters coming to fix it and talk about how great it is. And I saw some, some, someone talking somewhere about (laughs) a real academic at this point. (laughs) Uh, Cite your sources, Howell. (laughs) I know. Uh, my students, if they ever get wind of this, none of my feedback on their papers will be worth a damn. Um, <laughs> but, you know, there, that part of her adapting the computer was to help to make um, her, like, aging audience more accessible to computers as a new technology that they could use. And oh, I could totally see that, you know, because once she adopts it, she does take a little bit of a pedagogical approach to talking about word processors and computers and how great they are. It is also so accurate (laughs) to at least (laughs) people I know of a certain age, you know, like when it took, it's going to take some, some doing to get, you know, certain grandparents and, and, you know, other uh, relatives of an older generation to be willing to try this technology but if you just try you're gonna and then soon they like did you know that there is the youtube (laughs) like like there's it that feels so organic to to who jessica is and and the audience that she is a surrogate for yes it's really it's really endearing but also just like really great because i mean they're like in 2012 a murder she wrote computer game came out and (laughs) (laughs) That was the second one that they did. And I think that's that's just really fascinating. And also, they still produce Murder, She Wrote novels. Like, three or four come out a year still. Yep. Which is just crazy to me, but also amazing at how the wheels of this show and this property have kept spinning in very interesting ways, even though while we're watching, like, soap operas try to figure out how to survive... Uh, Murder, She Wrote, as a brand, is still strong enough that the Universal Comcast publisher imprint 
is still churning out three novels, branded novels a year for this. Wow. I mean, there's nothing, to, I don't think there's any substitute for, again, like we've all said, those shows that you watch in syndication, like growing up and, um, you know, certainly the the original audience, I don't think are the ones that are seeking that out. I think it's the, I think it's the kids who saw these in reruns who, you know, are looking for a quick read, you know, Ugh. at least that's my guess. I need and, to buy a couple. I need to see yeah. how they are. Yeah. <laughs> well, we've already gone long. Do we have any final thoughts about Murder, She Wrote? Charlotte? Uh, I highly recommend a variety of Murder, She Wrote tumblers uh, for great visual images. Uh, like Murder, She Wrote is all about the fashion mm-hmm. of Murder, She Wrote. I have nothing to do with any of them. I just enjoy them. Um, <laughs> of course, this, the requisite fuck yeah, J.B. Fletcher. Uh <laughs> And it's just, it's really nice to, on social media, see, you know, Tumblr is supposed to be this place for, like, teenagers and young adults, and Jessica Fletcher's still got some love on there. I feel like there's got to be a number of really terrific reaction gifts for for her. Oh, yes. Oh, Uh, Jessica eating eating popcorn has replaced my Michael Jackson eating popcorn gift, because it's just amazing, because... Her 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 hand gestures for that are just oh it's so good. Also, <laughs> drunk Jessica Jiff, a plus reaction Jiff <laughs> from one of her many cruise related mysteries. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what about you, Kate? What final thoughts do you have? Um, just how delightful I found the music, and I want to learn the theme song on piano now. Um, but yeah, just the. I, as someone who grew up on like a lot of the BBC mysteries and the the PBS murder mysteries, like a lot of those were brought over. But I certainly I also read all the Sherlock Holmes, all the Hercule Poirot. Like I read a lot of those mysteries. The the this is the one that I think captures the feeling of of those BBC murder mysteries that I grew up with the best. Aside from them, like even more than even more than Columbo for me, and the fact that it was based. Uh, the character, the idea can- sort of came from the attempts to do uh, Angela Lansbury, Miss Marple that didn't take off. Um, that was not surprising to me when I found it out. Uh, but yeah, it it was so like just again, that that reassuring setting and the, the familiarity of it. Like there's something so pleasurable about that that I could find in this that I didn't find in Murder, She Baked. Um, and also <laughs> that these do feel like even though jessica fletcher keeps being around dead people you know like the whole jessica fletcher's a serial killer thing you know is is a bit eyebrow raising no one should be around that many murders but there is enough detail to her life and to her world that it feels much more real to me than something like murder she baked or even some of the other ones that i know other people like better like what's the one that you really like um um set in like the 40s Oh, um, Miss Fishers. Miss Fishers, Fisher. yeah. I never quite got into Miss Fishers, and I, I like this boo. so much better. I I got a second Knowles boo. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, no, and I, I knew, and I knew you would. That's why I booed. I felt com- I felt safe in my booing as a mass. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. What are your final thoughts on Murder She Wrote? Um, I just want to second everything that you both have said. Just the show's delightful. 
and really it, it's despite like maybe it, it, in that it's such an older show by like today's brisque television standards in a lot of ways so much that, filler right but it, it's all good filler is kind of the thing is that i i i want just long scenes of these people who may or may not get killed off in the next in the second half to just keep interacting and keep talking to one another because they feel really sketched out much more than most guest stars tend to feel sometimes on a lot of shows these days. And there's something really delightful about them as like the show is an actor showcase and that they, that they trusted their audience to stick with it through everything. And I, I, I just think that's really nice. And also it's just a really good way to get through shingles. So, <laughs> or, or dissertations. Or dissertations. You're right. I, I told myself my mantra while I was watching this and finishing up. I told myself, and I I find Jessica Fletcher really aspirational. She was one of my three icons on my little like job search cheat sheet. Uh, but it was if Jessica can, Fletcher can write all those books, solve all those mysteries, and always be visiting a niece or a nephew, I can do this. <laughs> Oh, I think that that's the best way to end this. That's the perfect <laughs> note to end on. Um, thank you so much, Charlotte, for coming on. Uh, where can our listeners find you and your work online? I think it's charlottehowell.net is my website, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but you can, you don't have to link to me in any way. I'm just happy to be a part of things. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're very happy that you came on to join us. So thank you once again, Charlotte, for coming on. And thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. <laughs>